will never be able to hear that song again without instantly thinking about Wrestle One. Yeah, our well, little baby, it's gone. We we closed doors. Yeah, it's we've been trying to talk about it for a few weeks, and I think mostly we didn't want to talk about it because it's it's so sad that it has to go away now. Unfortunately, pump, let's pump the brakes. <laughs> a little bit. But I did. It, I I always enjoyed. We'll talk about it a little bit more because this is that's not our. Believe it or not, Russell One is not our lead topic today. It could be. I mean, no, it is a pandemic. Who the fuck knows what our lead topic is going to be? It's, it's either between Russell One or Curtis Axel. So it's like we're really we're really in a in a pinch here because someone said. Oh, I don't know what you guys are going to talk about. And I said, the content hasn't stopped. It's gotten dire, but the content's still there. We're talking about just, we're talking about Impact Night 2 Rebellion, fucking Moose, Curtis Axel, Wrestle One, and Big Japan. So it's, the content is still there. It's all bad, but it's all, it's still there. There's not an obvious lead topic this week. That's all. Right, right. But there's still plenty of content. And, you know, next week, we still didn't go over the, the, the last batch of Noah shows, which uh, includes the end of their tag league. So we'll probably get to that. There right. was a new all there was a new all Japan show um, that was a little too late to squeeze it into this show. But, you know, where a couple of the Wrestle One guys made their debuts. Triple A is running that weekly tournament. We'll probably get to that at some point. Plenty of content, but it's just this week. And, you know, even outside of the pandemic, there's weeks sometimes where we're like, what the fuck are we going to lead off with? You know, and this just happens to be uh, one of those weeks. But, uh, you know, Wrestle One, nice little promotion. I don't know if I'm over here shedding tears over the loss of <laughs> Wrestle One. Um, I enjoyed it well enough. I think that um, I think that last year, Wrestle One was a very underrated promotion. I went back at the end of 2019 and watched all most, if not all of wrestle one, at least the Corkins and the bigger shows now really sneaky good year that nobody talked about. And the fact that nobody talked about them is probably part of the reason why they no longer exist. It just, they could never generate uh, enough fans and, and draw enough fans to their shows uh, to stay alive. So they lasted about seven years, but um, it, it's incredible that a promotion, a major promotion uh, began and was started during the life cycle of this podcast and then closed during the life cycle of this podcast, which I think is interesting and notable. Yeah, because- I, I think that's, you know, not, not to interrupt, but I think that was a big reason why I mentioned that it's like kind of sad that it, that it ended because it reminds me of like, oh my God, I remember vividly you and I, that was like a, one of our shows was we talked about that Wrestle One show. I remember watching it live. We came out of the podcast. We laughed about it. We watched it live. And, and, and that was the debut show. It's September 8th, 2013, as I'm, I'm seeing here. Again, we'll get into bigger details when we're going to do a whole big Wrestle One segment later. But I remember watching that show. I remember talking about that show. I remember the beginning of it. I remember, you know, the X's when we were laughing about the preview of the show because half the card wasn't announced before it happened. And you were watching and just new guys came out. And okay, here's this guy. And having no idea what this new company was going to entail. And pretty much like following it pretty closely for years after that. Like I don't I don't think we watched every single show, but I think Wrestle One was one that we always, for whatever reason, you and I always just had an affinity towards and would always watch. And then that kind of fell off about two, three years ago, for me at least. I really kind of stopped watching it as well as many other people uh as well. And it kind of stunk because it, it was one that I was like, oh man, like I've always loved the idea of following a new promotion all the way through and hoping that the promotion lasts for a long time and lasts. But, but wrestle one was one of the ones that I can really remember vividly. Like the, the first show happening, us talking about it, 
the life cycle of the promotion, us continuing to talk about it periodically, and now it's dead. And it's just like, oh man, <laughs> like we we outlived Wrestle One, and it's like, ah, it's so it, it's just kind of weird and strange. I don't know why. It's you know, I'm trying to think of others. I guess Wrestle Circus is another one, but I wouldn't call them a major promotion. They were just an indie that ran out of money uh, multiple times, and uh, and and you know, and 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 folded the tent. But this is it, like. There's a major promotion that started and now has folded during the life cycle. Right. Like, I can't remember any others that, that really have, like, major, major promotions like that that, yeah. that that have done that. I mean, you know, think of everything else in the landscape that we that we have right now. I mean, AEW has obviously started in, in this time or whatever, and God, I hope we don't outlive them, but you never know what's going to happen there. But, like, otherwise, yeah, it, it's, you know, Impact was around when we started. WWE obviously was around when we started. You know, Noah, All Japan, New Japan, <laughs> NWA, like, Ring of Honor, like, nothing has really popped up and, and, and you know, closed shop in the life cycle of this podcast, except for Russell one. So it, it, it has some sort of a place in our heart, I guess. In our, so we'll in our minds, go. So. so we'll go over their final show a little later. I don't think we're going to lead with it, but rich, uh, as we both said, we both vividly remember the debut show with all the X's. This was a dude, show, this show I- rocks, dude. I'm looking at it right now. I want to watch the show tomorrow. This show is so good. I uh, remember it was on Ustream. Yes. You could, you could watch this live. This was during the Ustream days. I wonder, is, it, uh, is Ustream still an active web? Can I use uh, our login on Ustream and, and watch the replay let me, of this? <laughs> yes. Let me tell you something. If Ustream is active and still has my login, I've got all those Dragon Gate shows. Yeah, there's a lot show. of good stuff in there. Let's the, the, the New Japan pay-per-views were on Ustream before they had New Japan World. And remember, we were shelling out. Those Dragon Gate shows were like 20 bucks a pop for the Corican shows. And we'd pay. <laughs> and we'd watch them all live at 4 o'clock in the morning for 20 bucks a pop. I mean, that was crazy. But it was such a novelty to be able to watch live Japanese wrestling that we were all willing to pay those exorbitant prices. I mean, that first G1, I think it was 2014. I might be off by a year, give or take. The, the pack, wasn't it like $120? Yeah, it was entire. like obscene the amount of money we spent that summer. And, and, and people were like, what a steal. You know, we, we, I could watch every show of the G1. And it was only like eight shows, too. It was like when the G1s were all in like done in a week. You know, they'd pack everything into eight or nine shows. And and we all gleefully forked over $120 to watch, you know, a week's worth of shows where now you get everything for nine dollars well, nine hundred and ninety-nine yen, whatever the fuck that converts to, probably like eight dollars and forty cents or something. Yeah, don't don't get too excited. It looks like uh Ustream is now IBM Cloud Video, so uh don't think they have our uh <laughs> our, our old uh Dragon Gate replays up there. Yeah, man, Ustream was great. I, I remember well, it, like, is, so Ustream is a dead service. It looks now? like it is dead, yeah. It looks like it is no longer with us. I've, which... I've told this story before, but we always have new listeners. There's no reason not to tell it again because it's relevant. But when I met the bagman, Takayaki Kadani, in uh, San Antonio that time and had my little chat with him to set up our little operation here where he sends us a nice big fat right. check. Which thank month. you, sir, for your uh, your um, continued support of the Voice Wrestling flagships. Thank you. Big fan of the bagman, as I call him. Because, you know, we're friends, so I can call him the bagman. And we have a little chuckle. We have a little chuckle when I call him that. But when I met him in San Antonio... Um, like when you I, ask why the payment's late. Because sometimes, I'll be honest, he's not always... It fluctuates on which day it comes. The money always comes, but, you know, you got to call him a little bit. Just kind of poke the bear a little bit, and then he'll... He always pays up, but, yeah, it's... Takes care of us eventually, but sometimes you got to hassle him. It's a day or two later, whatever, and it's like, I got bills here, buddy. Let's go. <laughs> like, hey, he's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. It's fair, but, it's fair. Uh, 
when I met him in San Antonio and I used uh, uh, Funaki as my translator to have a little conversation with him. SmackDown number um, one announcer, Funaki? SmackDown number one announcer, there Funaki, who had a training school in San Antonio at the time. I don't know if he still does. Probably. Why wouldn't he? Um, but I don't know if that's a fact. But anyway, so I had my little conversation with Kadani, and I, you know, we were talking about New Japan, and, and, and he asked me, how do you watch? He was confused. This was around <laughs> 2013. And I told him, I said, I ordered, I ordered the shows on Ustream. You know, for like 1999 or whatever, and Funaki translated for me, and he kept saying "Ustream, Ustream." Like he did, like with <laughs> he wasn't sure that it was actually a thing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no, this is bizarre. So then, um, you know, Funaki's like he doesn't understand what is this Ustream? Is it is it legal streams or uh, what can I? Ex-? I'm like, no, I'm I paid you a lot of money, buddy. I paid you thirty bucks no. a pop for this shit. <laughs> it's not illegal. So, so I don't know. Maybe he's not getting the money. But I'm paying somebody to watch these shows because, but it was just a weird conversation. I don't know if something got lost in the translation. Um, terrible movie, by the way. Bill Murray is a horrible movie. Uh, I don't know if something got lost in the translation or or he just, but he didn't seem to be aware of the UStream service and the fact, and he was puzzled by the fact that I was telling him that I was watching the shows live. And paying for them, so I don't know what happened there. That was bizarre. You would think that he would have been aware of that, but I'm sure something just got confused in the translations or something. But um, he's also a big fan of Coke, straight up red can Coke. That's what you said. He was he's a red can guy, not a, not, not a silver can, right? He's and a... not the snow you put up your nose. I meant like <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's going to get clipped. Takiaki, that that's going to go on Reddit. Voice the wrestling reports that Kadani, big fan of Coke. And, you know, it's going to get – they're going to clip that, and it's going to be that we started a rumor that this man has a crippling cocaine habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, he must have downed, you know, old-school, full-power, red-can Coke. These weren't Coke Zs, Rich. This wasn't the old silver bullet, the Diet Cokes either. These were full-power, red-can Cokes. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting 10 feet from the guy. He must have drank six or seven of them during this, you know, two and a half, three hour wrestling show. So I do like um, that you're such a wholesome character that the silver bullet to you is, is a can of Diet Coke and not Coors Light, which I appreciate. That's nice. It's, you know, people think if, people vilify the Joe Lanza, but when he thinks of silver bullet, he thinks of Diet Coke, which I appreciate. So listen, I'm a good boy. You know, I'm a good boy. I don't fill my body with poisons. I stay in <laughs> it's top. It's just diet soda. <laughs> I stay in top peak physical condition. Yeah. I, I, have, I put the garbage in my body as you sip a. Diet Dr. Pepper, yeah. I've had I've had half a case of Coke Z vanilla today. So, um, <laughs> does it have aspartame or no? What's in this? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. What's the thing that'll kill you in these things? I don't think it's aspartame. I think aspartame is in the Diet Cokes. I think oh, the zero? The- um, no, I thought it was the opposite. I think. Uh, oh, yeah. What what is in the Coke? I forget what's in the zero, but yeah, something's. Oh, it does have aspartame. Okay, it does. Have, yeah. yeah, I thought I thought so. I wasn't sure, but yeah, you're done. Yeah. Fine. I mean, everything's going to kill you. You're going to have man. diabetes. You're going to die anyway. It's whatever, you know. Doesn't it all balance out? I mean, a guy like me stays away from alcohol, uh, tobacco, uh, the drugs, the street drugs, Rich. But then, you know, I'm just killing myself with with diet colas. And then maybe the guy who, you know, everyone has something that they're doing. No one just, you know, something's going to take all of us out. I mean, what or is it? The, or the perfectly do? healthy guy that, you know, has a heart attack. He's running a 5K and he drops dead. You know, it's like, you know, that guy, oh, yeah, he always kept himself in, you know, good shape. You never know, man. It's going to come for you at some point. So, fuck it. Or you get, or you get 
Or you just get hit by a fucking bus. Right, yeah. Or you or, get corona. Yeah, there's there's so many things that could happen. So. You get the thing. You can get the thing, and you never know, you know? But um, uh, so that was my little interaction with Kadani, and, and just reminiscing to the Ustream days. Rich, we're going to – I'm going to run down that first Wrestle 1 show, which I – you know, that's probably a long-lost podcast, but I know we had a ton of fun with this thing. And it was one of those – we talk about this from time to time. It's one of these wrestling shows where all of Twitter comes together and just has a blast. It's just a, It was just a fun show to watch in real time and interact with real fans while it was going on. Um, but yeah, like you said, most of the matches like were unknown. All of the matches were unknown. Like maybe you had one side of the match. Yeah, if I remember correctly, you would have like you know Sato and Sai versus X and X, and you're like, oh shit, who the hell is this going to be? Or is, you know, you know Mayu Iwatani versus X, and you're like, oh shit. Like I think we had half the card. Literally, I think I think half the card showed up, so we knew like who was in the matches, kind of. But then we had no idea who was like, like you said, we knew one half. We knew one half of a tag match, one half of a singles match. I think maybe Kai and Sonata was announced as a match. But other than that, I don't remember a single other one of these, like being officially both guys, you know, listed. Kai and Sonata was, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But very quickly, it was uh, Daike Anaba who lasted the entire life cycle of the promotion. We talk about that like it was decades and decades. It was like less than seven years. But uh, he teamed with Hiroshi Yamato. They defeated Mazada and Nosawa Rangai. Whatever happened to that guy? Yeah, lazy. I don't see him anywhere. Yeah, I don't see him wrestling anymore. Kohei Sato and Ryuji Sai. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I hated it then. (laughs) Ryota Hama and uh, Yusufumi Nakanoe. You're really all over the Uh. side here. Rich is disgusting. Sato and Sai. Gross. I like Sato. (laughs) He's fine. You know, there was a certain corner of wrestling Twitter that was uh, that 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 uh, that for a little while there, there was a small window where Ryuji Sai was considered the best worker in all Japan. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like last year too, like during Miyahara's <laughs> epic run. Right. I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. Different opinions, different people. You know, uh, Yoshiko versus Mayu Iwatani. How about that? Yeah. We had Koji Kanemoto and Minoru Tanaka versus uh, Fujita Hayato and Masaki Mochizuki. That awesome. That sounds like I would have enjoyed that a lot, but strong BJ against Kaz Hayashi and Suji Kondo the show rules. Look how awesome this is. <laughs> these matches are great. Like the rest of the show, except well, maybe not the main event, but the rest of the show, these next four matches are all fucking like solid. The laughter seven showed up, rich Shibata and Sakuraba to take on Masaka. Uh, my man, Masakatsu motherfucking Funaki and Masayuki Kono, the stack of arms. Laughter 7 versus stack of arms. You know what I mean? Like, we were talking the other day about, you know, Japanese tag team names, and I was, like, poo-pooing some of the names. Like, Laughter 7 and stack of arms. Now we're fucking talking. You know what I mean? Stack of arms. How awesome is that? That's a name. That's very much a 2013 match, too. For sure. Oh, definitely. It just brings you back to that era. Then you had Kai versus Sonata, which, you know, was meant to be the two young wrestlers that the promotion was ultimately going to build around two guys who came up together in all Japan, along with, I believe Hiroshi Yamato who worked the opener. I think those three guys were basically in the same dojo class. Um, uh, And, and I think even Kai and Yamato went on excursion to Mexico at the same time, like around 2000, I want to say eight ish, Um, you know, someone will fact check. It's okay. But um, those three guys, and Kai and, and, you know, Yamato ended up being a nice little wrestler, and he's still bouncing around Japan. But Kai and Sonata were the two that they were going to build around as the heavyweight stars. 
and Kai ended up winning this match. But um, and it was a nice little match. I think I think I went three and a half on it. I don't know why I would remember the match rate because I reviewed this for the site. I think. Oh, but, it's um, true. Yeah, let me let me actually see if I can find it on the website. So it's got to be here somewhere. Were, so. <laughs> yeah, so they were going to build around these two young wrestlers, which was a pretty good idea, honestly. But then Sonata went on excursion. He lost the match, went on excursion to the United States, had designs on making it in the United States. He really wanted to get signed by WWE, uh, ended up having a run on Impact, ended up doing some indie shots. I know you saw him a couple times in Chicago. He yeah. might have AW and some other places and he just he never got the call and then ended up coming back to Japan I think he briefly worked a tour or two with like Big Japan or something but he was basically just biding his time until the timing was right to be introduced as a member of LIJ in New Japan and obviously everybody knows what happened from there but um, an interesting match historically and really a symbolic match as the plans of Wrestle 1 for those two guys just didn't work out. Sonata left the company. He let his contract run out while he was on excursion. And Kai just never developed the charisma to be a top wrestler in Japan. So he's a nice little mid-card guy everywhere he goes now, but it just didn't work out uh, the way Wrestle 1 planned it. So uh, uh, Three and a quarter was your rating for uh, Kai and Sonata, so a little off there, but uh, is not it, bad. Is it, is it too long of a review to read? It'd be a uh, nice I can't one. read the entire review, but what I can read, though, is the uh, – you have a, have a great quote about uh, at the beginning where you talk about uh, the, the X's and how many matches were not actually announced. So uh, so here it is. This is just absolute – just Hemingway-esque words right here from Joe Lanza on uh, September 8th, 2013. Wrestle 1, Raising an Army, Red X Madness Delivers. Uh, booking mystery wrestlers in unknown matches can be a dicey proposition. It always looks good on paper, but the ticket-buying ticket public usually responds negatively. WCW's Battle Bull shows never did well on pay-per-view. WWE attempted user interaction based off the cyber pay-per-views for a couple of years, and they all bombed, resulting in the abandonment of the concept. A well-placed mystery opponent in the mid-card can get over well, but as a rule, you never really want to use this concept in your main event. Heiji Mudos, Wrestle 1, thumbed their noses to conventional booking wisdom to the tune of 17 mysterious red X's on their debut show. <laughs> 17 people we didn't know about. Yeah. Incredible. I got I got to tell you, that's some review open. I was a great writer. You were fantastic. I know. You need to write more. It's good stuff. I do write behind the paywall. $10 a month, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. You can find all of Joe Lanza's writings. Actually, I'll plug something here, Rich, because I've got a writing project coming up for behind the paywall. As we come to the end of April, I am uh, I am reigniting something I used to do every year, meaning I did it exactly one year and then abandoned uh, ever doing it again. But I am doing the uh, official uh, Joe Lanza uh, Wrestler of the Year through the quarter pole of the year, and that will be behind the paywall coming up sometime this week as April comes to a close. So, um, well, the one-third pole, rather. Remember I did that in 2014? Yeah, yeah, I do. I did the the wrestler of the of the one third of of the year, uh, you know, four months through the year. So um, there'll be a big article behind the paywall, but um, nice little setup for me that you didn't even know you were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank writing. you. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. so, so uh, here's what we knew coming in though. Real, real quick, here's here's what you said here. Uh, we knew Mudo was in the main event, teaming with X against X and X. <laughs> so that's so we knew Mudo. We didn't know anybody else. Uh, Stack of Arms was in the semifinal, uh, semifinal facing To Be Announced versus To Be Announced. Uh, Inaba was making his debut, teaming with Hiroshi Yamada against the always dangerous To Be Announced and To Be Announced. 
And uh, yeah, so that's all we knew, I guess, was we knew Muda was in the main event, Stack of Arms was facing somebody, and Inaba and Hamada were going to face somebody as well. And then the rest of it, we had no idea. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. It came out great, yeah. though. I mean, what a great show. It, it worked what, out. Yeah. Like, you could, you, and that was the worry. We were like, man, they have no X's. Like, who knows who's going to go through that curtain? It, could be it was fucking, a lot of fun. It could have been anyone. Yeah, it could have been fucking Kobachi who ended up being an announcer. You know, he, he could have came up. Like, we had no idea. It could have been absolute garbage or it could have been really good wrestlers. It ended up being really good wrestlers. And then, you know. Could you it. imagine if Kobashi like, stood up like Booker T during the World Rumble? <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> and just took off his suit and hopped in the ring to, you know. Start shopping some asshole. Yeah, that would so, of course, the, the main event was not Kai and Sonata. As you mentioned, it was Bob Sapp and Keiji Muto <laughs> against <laughs> Noah Global Tag League winner Rene Dupree and Zodiac. I forgot Zodiac existed until uh, this very moment. So, uh, there you go. Uh, you want to um, know the best part of this? I'm reading the review now. I forgot about this, and I'm sure everybody in the, on Earth forgot about this as well. Sure. Uh, in your review, you say Keiji Muto and Bob Sapp versus Rene Dupree and Zodiac. I uh, went three stars in that match as well. But um, you said they announced on the screen he comes from TNA Jeff Jarrett for the next show in Cork and Hall. Oh, that's right. Because <laughs> then there was the the the, the Wrestle One NWA relationship that went for a while. But yeah, J E double 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 found a way to. Jeff How did he weasel his way into Cork and Hall Wrestle One show? Unbelievable. Well, he probably, you know, it was a hot new promotion. He felt like, I got to stick my nose in here because, you know. But, you know, a few years later, they kind of co-hosted. Um, Bound for Glory, uh, right? Bound for Glory. I don't know if that was during a Jarrett era. We would need Garrett Kidney to sort that out. Probably was, though, based on this information. So, because um, that was probably 2014 or 2015 when Bound for Glory was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was in Cork and Hall with Wrestle One. So that was a fun show too. That was great. I love that show. You know, well, 2014. Had- 2014 was the, the. So that was October 2014. It's almost a day or a year to the to the day. So the deal was probably already cut or about to be cut. So, um, you know, you, you could see the connection there. Yeah, I forgot that Jeff Jarrett was announced for the next show. Interesting stuff, but um, oh my god! Listen, look at this match: Jeff Jarrett, Keiji Muto, and Funaki, your man, yeah, Mister Motherfucking Funaki, defeat Desperado, Kazma Sakamoto, Kono, and Ryuji Sai. Ugh, what a grimy, gross <laughs> team on the other side. Yeah, Ugh, I what hate a it. what a disgusting team. You, I, I think you gave me syphilis just reading those names. <laughs> Ugh, gross. I can smell that match through my monitor. Horrendous team. But anyway, that was the Wrestle 1 Raising an Army show, and we will say goodbye to Wrestle 1 later on on this show. Can I real Uh, quickly, not to interrupt, can I quickly go over this Bound for Glory card? Yeah, I was just going to say, we'll we'll say goodbye to Wrestle 1 later as we go over their final show, which wasn't nearly as fun. As all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, this stuff is much more fun. Um, okay, so this is the Bound for Glory 2014, by the way, just yeah. so, which might be a good transition into Impact if we if we get that direction. But um, Minoru Tanaka versus Manic in your opener. Oh, that was a really good match. I like remember that match. Great. That was now that was TJ Perkins Manic, correct? Um, which I, ties into something else we're going to talk about later in this show. Um, but but yeah, I I think I, if if I'm not mistaken, that was the match of the show at least for me. Uh, Ethan Carter the Third versus Hama. 
Yeah, I which remember I remember that. being fun. I remember that being a very, very fun—not a good match, but a fun match. We positively reviewed this show. Yes. Uh, MVP versus Kazuma Sakamoto. <laughs> that couldn't have been good. <laughs> that had to be just absolutely terrible, right? I can't imagine that was good. Yeah. Uh, Samoa Joe, Kaz Hayashi, and Loki. Yeah. This card fucking rocks. Uh, Jiro and uh, Kodama versus Andy Wu and El Hio de Pantera. Now, this is the famous match where Taz would not shut the fuck up about Andy Wu. Yes. And he became and just kept a saying, huge... woo, 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 woo. <laughs> Mike today was like, okay. He I just get kept it. saying Andy Wu, and he could not get over the ja- the suit jacket of Jiro that he was wrestling with the suit jacket. Um, the commentary here by Taz was great. I remember this being a fun show. And I and, and honestly, I'm wondering where Andy Wu is going to pop up because I like that guy too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he'll be somewhere. Uh, Bully Ray and Devon versus Abyss and Tommy Dreamer in a hardcore match. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this was when Bully Ray and Devon burned the Bullet Club shirts. Yes, I believe so. As they tried to finesse their way <laughs> and shoot their own angle to get into New Japan. Right. So they figured, we're going to be in Japan for Impact. Why don't we shoot our own angle and try to work up some publicity? And then, you know, maybe the powers that be in New Japan will fall for this and bring us in. And then, uh, what's the what's the, what's the the meme? Uh, then the narrator said they didn't. So <laughs> right. Work out for... didn't, didn't work out too well uh, yeah. there. I cannot believe this is the semi-main event. Havoc versus Velvet Sky. Atrocious match. <laughs> had to be bad. <laughs> no, it was. I remember that was an atrocious... I think we, we buried the shit out of that match. Uh, and then the Great Muda and Tajiri defeat the Revolution. Do you remember who was in the Revolution? No. It was the Great Sonata versus James Storm. See now, or this James, would, not versus Great Sonata and James Storm as a team. See, this is what I'm saying because Sonata immediately went on excursion after that first show, which is why Kai won that match. Kai and Sonata were set to be basically a generational feud at the top of the card for Russell One when he came back from that excursion, but he never came back. He let his contract run out, and when he came back, he popped up in Big Japan. I think he did a strong climb, as a matter of fact. And then from there, he was just killing time before he showed up in New Japan. So, yeah, and he was in that faction with James Storm. And um, I think eventually, um, didn't TJ Perkins join that faction at I some point? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I think he did, too. I forget who was all in the revolution. So, <laughs> the Gary Kidney's signal there. I don't even care to look it up. I, I, Basically, I think, uh, yeah, who cares? <laughs> good times, great memories here, going down Wrestle One memory lane. So, um Oh, I do remember real, real, and then we're done. And then we're done. I remember an awesome thing about this show as well. I don't know if you remember this, that they had already taped a bunch of episodes of Impact. Yes. So that Joe and Havoc, who weren't actually the champions, had to defend their titles. Correct. Which is, I love that shit. That's my favorite stuff ever when you tape out of order and guys have to come out. Like, I love the old school, like, you know, this guy had to come out and defend his IC title that he lost two weeks ago or whatever. Like, that stuff rules. I love that so much. So, yeah, Joe and Havoc are both defending titles that they don't actually own, which is well, just Rich, great. I've got the promotion for you. Early 90s WCW is your jam. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Never forget the Freebirds and their negative 13, their negative 13 day. Uh, tag team title reign, uh, which is a real thing that people can look up. They held the titles for negative two weeks, but uh, but yeah, I do remember that, and I I remember we were we were aghast as we talked about that on the podcast. We were pumping our we were pounding our fists on the table in anger that uh, that Impact would or TNA at the time would 
sully these titles. I think we were mad anyway. Who knows? I don't remember. But uh, I think we just said that like you can't really do that in like Japan. Like they take that kind of seriously, man. Like you don't want to yeah. fuck around and do that. Like Americans are dumb and we don't really care. But yeah, in Japan they care about that. And if they know that, that you like you're defending a title that you don't actually own, it does kind of reflect a little bit poorly on you. So. Yeah, that was that was kind of the issue with that. But uh, listen, we could do Joe and Rich talk about old shows all day. I mean, that we that should be a show we do. You know, Joe and Rich talk about early twenty ten. What do you call that decade? I don't even know what you call that. Yeah, the early twenty tens. I guess you would call it. that. Seems icky and weird, though. I don't like calling it that. You had the aughts, right? We agree that two thousand to two thousand nine is the aughts, right? That's what we're going with with that? Uh, Yeah, fine. <laughs> Go with that. I don't care. The aughts. Well, that's what we called it in the 1900s, you know? Did we? Ad- you- I don't remember us adopting that in these hundreds, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm just saying, why wouldn't you do the same thing? Like, I think I just always said the 2000s, but I, I like aughts. Aughts is a cool, a better way to put it. So I, I wish we did that. I don't know if we officially got together well, and, and made well, it that. Well, well, I'm doing it. That's fine. I'll, I'll take it. I'll follow you. Down you path. can't stop me, honestly. Um, but you know, I think it sounds classy. It sounds like I, I wear, it's like someone in the 1920s, right. Called that decade of the 1900s, the aughts, but that same, it's, it's a classy way to say it. Like it's the kind of person that puts on a suit every day, even though they don't really go to a job that has it. Cause back then men just wore suits anytime they left. Right. The house. Yeah. Going to, going to the ball game, going to get, you know, to the, to the store, you got to have a suit and a hat on, you know? Especially right. in the early aughts. Especially in the early aughts. Especially in the early aughts. You you just you left the house, you you wore a suit, you wanted to look classy. You know, now we all look like shit bums. You know, now we're wearing sweatpants that we've owned since two thousand four. <laughs> right. You know, they got bleach stained pants in three weeks. <laughs> I'm not even wearing pants now. So yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I wore basketball shorts every day. And then I like, go out sometimes and I just I never change. I'm like wearing a hoodie and basketball shorts. Like, who cares? <laughs> no, I don't shit. I don't think you understand, Rich. Oh, you're when you say no pants, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm not wearing anything. I, I no pants. You at least got the basketball shorts on, but they're probably basketball shorts that you've owned since 2007. They're pretty old, yeah. They're they're not yeah. new. Right, like you wouldn't even probably go play a pickup game in these shorts. No, I have like I have the the shorts that I play in, and then the shorts I lounge in, and yeah, the the old ones get retired to the lounge, and that's that's yeah, that's currently what I'm wearing. Yeah, but. Um, I don't know what to call the next decade. The tens? I mean, I, I don't like that. The teens? Ugh. I guess two thousand tens, but it sucks. Yeah, that's garbage. All we got to right. work on something. Let's find something a little bit better than that. All right, well, we'll get to that final Wrestle One show later. Uh, that was supposed to be opening banter, and of course, we're forty-five minutes into this bad boy, yeah. so that's how it goes. Um, so, what are we opening with? I mean, let's discuss this on the air. We've got Curtis Axel. Being released by WWE, I say that's a contender. We've got Rebellion Night Two, probably the biggest show of the week, right? Yeah, I'm not in a huge rush to talk about that show, so we can. Big Japan back from the dead with the Strong Climb Finals. Yeah, can't really... yeah. I watched, can we uh... really open with Big Japan? Yeah. I mean, Let's not. Let's not. That's a hard thing to open with, isn't that's it? Tough. That's a tough one to. Yeah. That's when when tough. you told me your idea to start the show, I thought you wanted to start with Wrestle One out of the gate. <laughs> I kind of like that because it's so absurd, but now that we've, yeah, I don't think we can do 45 minutes of talking about old Wrestle 1 shows and then get into Big Japan. That's a little too. Um... I think we, kind. I mean, this is like third hour in the first hour. I mean, this, but I mean, I think we kind of already opened the show, right? We opened it with memories of Wrestle 1. I think that's the opening segment. I think when you write the episode description, right, 
you're going to sit down, you're going to write memories of Wrestle 1, uh, whatever the fuck. Just like that. How do you spell whatever the fuck? Like, is that one word, you think? It's got to um, be. Yeah, I would, I wanna, yeah, one word for sure. Whatever the fuck. Um, so this would actually be topic two, which kind of opens things up a little bit. It does. Um, let's do Curtis Axel. I think that's probably, look, that's the breaking news. Absolutely. The artist formerly known as Michael McGillicuddy. This is, this is big stuff. Probably the biggest story, honestly, uh, of the week. I mean, there has been no news this week, you know? Um, I can't think, are we missing a big news story? I mean, AEW announced they were doing Double or Nothing last week. We already talked about it. I guess the AEW taping schedule, that's not a very juicy topic, though. People are done being mad about that. Um, are you even, well, let's do that. Are you even mad yeah, about? Go, well, okay, so so for people that don't know, run down, do, do you have a rough idea of that schedule? Again, well, I know you did, you wrote it on the uh, on the Patreon, but have they, have they yeah, confirmed on, or changed I, uh, that at all, or is it the same as it as it was last week? Well, I'm not a name dropper, but let me pull up my conversation with Bagman Number Two, uh, <laughs> Mid South Tony, and uh, yeah, no, it's um it hasn't changed. So here here's what they're going to do, and that day, let me just say, was a train wreck. Uh, a lot of wrestling reporters, reputable ones, far more reputable than than I will ever be. I'm not even a reporter. I come on here and talk about watching Wrestle One shows without pants on. Okay, but that day, I mean, the Observer, it was classic Dave fucking garble in the Observer that nobody could understand. Yeah, 17 commas in a sentence, and you're like, Dave, what are you trying to say here? <laughs> like, please translate. Like, I, I am fluent in Dave Meltzer, and I still couldn't understand that paragraph with the taping schedule. And then, you know, you had other reporters out there just tweeting recklessly, AEW going live moving forward. And I'm like, you know what? I, we need to get to the bottom of this. So here's what it is straight from Mid-South Tony's uh, mouth. Uh, and, and, you know, this was if, – if you're a subscriber, patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling on the $5 tier, you would have known this a week ago. Uh, when it broke, but um, so they're going live. The next dynamite on May 6th is live. Okay. They're bringing everybody in and not everybody, um, but it more than they had in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I'll get to that in a second. That's live on the 6th. May 13th is going to be a tape show, presumably either on the 6th or the week of the 6th, they're going to tape for the 13th. So the 13th will be taped. Now the May 20th show will return live. But that's the week of double or nothing. So the thought process there was, okay, we're bringing everybody back this week anyway for the pay-per-view. We may as well just do a live TV because everyone's there anyway. And then after that, post-double or nothing, as far as I know, is is yet to be determined. Now – the re- and, and and there will – it will not be a full crew. The international talent still can't come in obviously. And then they're still excusing anyone who's either ill – or not comfortable with showing up. So, but they do expect more people there. Uh, the exact words were about double the amount of contracted people they had to work. Cause remember they used a ton of QT Marshall students on the last set of tapings and everything. So they might not have more bodies in total, but they'll have more of their regular contracted bodies because these are the final episodes the last three episodes before double or nothing. Cause remember after that May 20th episode is double or nothing that Saturday. Mm-hmm. So they'll have more contracted bodies. We'll see who's there. And then uh, after that, who knows now, um, you know, it's, it's look, they got to keep, 
you don't see a lot of people saying this, but you see some people saying it, and it it was really a stronger opinion maybe a month, month and a half ago. Um, but you see, you still see some people saying that both these guys in WWE should just shut down and stop doing shows. But that's not feasible. If they stop doing shows, the networks can rip up those contracts and then they cease to exist. AEW will cease to exist if they stop doing shows. You can't just stop doing – you can't do that. Okay, um, I understand that it's a serious situation we're in, but I have no problem with AEW or WWE continuing to do shows as safely as they possibly can. I don't like it if they're reckless. I don't like all of the things that that both of those companies have done. Um, but I think, honestly, I mean, I think both of them are doing as well as they can do under the circumstances and taking enough precautions to where I'm not flabbergasted or disgusted with their behaviors. Listen, they got to produce shows. You know, uh, you know, life has to roll on. You got to, they got to produce content to keep that money coming in. We discussed at length what losing the TV deals would do to WWE it would be devastating. I mean, they potentially go out of business. And AEW, if they lost their TV contract, they'd be completely fucked, especially now since they can't sell any tickets. So you've got to understand from that perspective, these companies have to keep the they gotta keep doing shows. Right. And 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 the and the, the thing that you hear from a lot of people when that will they'll come back with it and, and, and mostly they'll come back with it at WWE, which which maybe is slightly more understandable, but we'll talk about you know, both ends of it is we'll just, you just show old content, air old content or whatever show, you know, do this, do, and yeah, you can do that, but they kind of, they, you know, they tried doing that on ESPN NFS one was showing old Royal Rumbles and old WrestleManias. Are you seeing those anymore? We they didn't not. do well. <laughs> they didn't do well. I mean, the first, well, the one first did. couple, the yeah, first the first couple. couple did. And then people were like, hey, all right, we're, I'm, I'm good. You know, it, it, that stuff doesn't do well. And yeah, I understand that you can do that from WWE standpoint. You you have tons of old footage and old stuff to show, but these networks they don't you know they don't want that stuff. They want first run content. They want you know this sort of stuff, and that's why you know and we talked about it last week, or maybe even two weeks ago at, at this point is WWE's initial taping schedule and initial initial plan was fine. I had no issues with it. Just like I again I'll jump ahead, I have no issues with this AEW taping schedule as well. If you were telling everybody, hey, every single Wednesday you all have to come here, you all have to be here. We all have to do these shows, and then you all go away, and then you all come back next Wednesday or whatever. That's WWE was telling people to do that every Tuesday and every or every Monday and every Friday. Come back, go, come back, go. like that. That's bad. That is but we, no good. And we buried them for that, right? Right. Yeah. But, and, when, right. but when they adjusted and went on that rotation, I, that's good enough for me. I don't yeah, know. I, I have a- no issues with that as well. As long as every again with the caveat that if hey, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, we totally understand. You're cool. You're good. Uh, one company, I think you can kind of trust those words a little bit more than the other, but you know, like I, I, I do think that in AEW, especially that if they say, Hey, look, no, if you're not comfortable, don't show up. That's fine. Like, I, I think that's good enough. Like I, 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 I trust that they're not going to, you know, that John Moxley isn't going to get buried for not showing up. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think so, especially in 2020 when you can do so many different things and you can cut promos, you can still build stories from home or whatever that, Hey, if you're not comfortable, if you don't want to leave the house, if you have a wife that, you know, is this, or you have children or you have whatever, whatever it is, whatever the circumstances that prevent you from going or, or, you know, discourage you from going or whatever, as long as that actually isn't affecting anything, I have no issue with them saying, hey, look, show up on this day, we'll tape two shows or three shows or whatever, show up on this day, we'll presumably tape some more shows, that's the same week as Double or Nothing or whatever, and then, yeah, depending on what's going to happen, I have no issues with come, tape a bunch of stuff, go, come back two weeks later, tape some stuff, go, like that, I have no issues with that whatsoever. No issues. Yeah. 
because I'm I, and again, like in my heart of hearts, should they be running that? Nah, probably not. But I'm also a realist and I also understand how business works. And it's like, yeah, they shouldn't be running, but then they're dead. And then AEW has gone and all these people are unemployed. Like that, that's what it is. Cause TNT then can say, well, fuck off. We're not paying you the money. And that is all that AEW has. And WWE, that's what their company is. So Fox says, you know what? Eh, you're not giving us live content or, hey, we're not going to do this. Hey, we'll, we'll pay you, you know, a quarter of what we said we were going to pay you. But that, you know, or, or rip up the contract altogether. They're dead. They're done. They're gone. Like, that's what these companies are at this point. So if you want them to exist, unfortunately, you have to come up with compromises. And if I, I have no issues with these compromises, you, you know what I mean? I have zero, Look, zero issues with them. Maybe I would tweak the plans a little. But the point here is. I don't think either company is being completely irresponsible with the current setups. Um, you know, the AEW, they haven't gotten together in weeks. You know, they, they bulk taped in, in Georgia and, you know, they're out of footage. They got to get back together. I guess you could make the argument that they should just tape everything the week of the sixth, including double or nothing. Um, you can make that argument if you want. You know, would that probably be smarter? Yeah. Am I particularly worked up about it? I mean, I got to be honest, I'm not. I, 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 you know, I have a feeling they're going to bulk tape. I think they're going to do what you just talked about, the, the stuff that you love. I think we're going to have stuff taped that's going to be taped before Double or Nothing, but then air after Double I, or absolutely. Nothing. Absolutely. I, I think that May 20th, and, when everyone's there, live on Wednesday, Thursday all day tape, Friday all day tape or whatever, Saturday Double or Nothing, then go away until we can figure out, you know, what's going to happen next. Yeah, and hope I, that nobody I, gets hurt on double or nothing. You know, keep our fingers crossed. Or like, and this is also an interesting thing too. Do we know for certain that double or nothing is going to be live? Uh, here, here's here's we don't know that for certain. It's never been said. Here's the other thing we don't know. Everyone's assuming everyone's getting sent home after the sixth because the the show the next week is taped. No one knows that either. They might all be staying together all three weeks and taping that entire second week for stuff that's going to air after Double or Nothing. I see a lot of outrage. Oh, why are they bringing everybody in twice? Are they? They could very well be bringing everybody in once and keeping them for three weeks. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And just not doing the live show on the um, 13th or whatever that date is, right? 6, 13, and 20. Um, You know, so maybe they're going live on the 6th and then, you know, taping straight through for two weeks, right? And then as opposed to sending everyone home and then coming back and doing a live show on the 20th. I mean, I don't know the answer to that. And, you know, I, it was not made clear in, in the conversation that I had. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if the, if they are going home though, on that, in that, on that week in between, I guess you can make the argument that they could have either taped everything the week of the sixth or kept everyone there. But I don't know the cost associated with keeping everyone there versus flying them home or bringing them. I don't know any of that, but you're not going to get real far with people discussing cost versus safety these days. Right. Right. So that shouldn't even be a factor. Um, Although obviously it is, it's always going to be a factor in the back of your mind, even though it's not going to be maybe the under normal circumstances. That's your first thought. Well, what's going to be cheaper now you kind of have to put safety in front of that. So there's a lot of unanswered questions, but at the end of the day, I'm not, you know, like that, that WWE plan of bringing everybody in every Monday and Friday, that was, that was deplorable. It was indefensible. Right. That, that, yeah, there was no, nobody in the world that could defend that 
on any i mean if, <laughs> some people could <laughs> nobody worth your time uh could could possibly defend that one that was absolutely ridiculous yeah th- and they idea. quickly got and they even and they even quickly they got backed off. it up too yeah yeah and 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 we talked about their rotating plan and um you know i don't i don't have a a, a, a giant problem with what they're doing either um but uh that that's the plan and no we don't know if double or nothing is live um but you would think if they're doing a live show on the 20th, why wouldn't you keep everyone around for four days or three days and then just do Double or Nothing live? I, it wouldn't make sense not to if they're already going to be there. Now, if you told me they're doing a live show on the 6th and then we don't know what – you know, then I – okay, then there's a good chance it's taped. But you're right. No one has ever said, at least to my knowledge, that the show is live. Um, so yeah, they're going forward with the pay-per-view. And uh, how many you, – you, you think the buys will be affected by the pandemic? And if you do, do you think there will be more bored people sitting around who will buy this thing? Or do you think because less people are watching the weekly TV, less people will buy this thing? I'm fascinated. I don't know if I have an, a, a great prediction. Like my, my – my, you know, first thought in my – top of my brain kind of says that like it probably is down from, from prior pay-per-views. A, because of empty arena wrestling, I, I think is wearing on people a little bit. Uh, B, because 50 bucks, you know, a month ago, <laughs> two months ago, yeah, 50 bucks, everybody, you know, most people had 50 bucks to, to throw around and, 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 you know, sit down and watch pay-per-view. I don't know. You know, a lot of people are in, in pretty dire straits right now. You know, lost your job, uh, you know, bills piling up, things like that happening. Like, I don't know that people are as quick to drop 50 bones on, on a wrestling pay-per-view, especially an empty arena pay-per-view. Uh, I think it does okay. I do think it probably is less than um, Revolution and maybe a less than some of the other ones. I, I don't think it's going to like absolutely crater. I just don't – I don't know if it's going to do better than those. Well, they've done basically the same exact number for every pay-per-view, right around 100,000. Yeah, I could see that dropping – I'm not going to say substantially, but but maybe you know 10,000 less or whatever, maybe 80, 90,000, somewhere in that range. I think one – had like 90,000 and another had like 110 and the other two had like 100 and 105. Essentially they're averaging 100,000 buys per pay, per pay-per-view and they're basically almost hitting that number on the T each time out. Which that kind of consistency also tells me that the builds haven't really mattered for better or worse. And I think that they just have 100,000 super loyal fans who are just going to buy every pay-per-view. The question is have they lost some of those during the empty arena stuff. Um, the one I would thing I would throw out is that they're going to do more. I think what has been proven is less people are willing to watch wrestling during all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Even though you're bored and you have nothing else to do, people would rather read a book or watch Netflix or, you know, fuck their wife than watch empty arena wrestling. I think we, we, you know, with, with every show uh, doing worse numbers than they were doing before. So I don't think the numbers will go up, but, and I, and I reserve the right to change my mind because we're like three weeks out. My gut tells me they're going to do the same 100,000 that they always do. I think that those AEW hardcores are and, and loyalists are the same people who have been buying all the pay-per-views, and I think this isn't going to stop them. So that's my prediction with an asterisk. I, I, the week of the show when we preview it, I'll have a better feel for it. I don't have a real good feel for it now, but my gut's telling me those 100,000 people are going to be there again. Um, and honestly, I think those people are still watching every week. 
uh, the ratings came in. They did a 0.27 in the demo and a little bit under 700,000 viewers. It's basically the same range they've been in every week. Mm-hmm. Um, NXT did a 0.16 in the demo. I believe that's an all-time low for that show. So, uh, look, but, you know, that that's the range NXT has been in, too, 0.17, 0.18. So they did a 0.16 this week. Uh, and AEW was actually a little bit up in the demo. I think last week they did a 0.26 or a 0.25. They did 0.25. So they're up a little in the demo this week, despite being a, a little bit down in, in total viewers. Um, your dog has a great point to make. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was I, wondering. Everybody was so upset that the last few weeks uh, they hadn't hurt the dogs. But uh, there they are. So they're, they're ready. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I think those 100,000 pay-per-view buyers, I don't think my gut tells me that they haven't abandoned the show. Um, right, and I think right. that, so why wouldn't they buy the pay-per-view? If yeah, I, I think the, the, fi- the financial thing is, I think a little, you know, in, in, in prior day, and we've had this discussion before and I'm, I'm not going to really do it again here, the $50 for yeah. a pay-per-view type thing or whatever. No, I, I don't think that mattered six months ago. And I think your diehards were going to buy it regardless. I just think that $50 is probably, I think it means a little bit more in this month than it has in a lot of other months. <laughs> you know I, what I mean? Like there's a, a lot point. of people staring down a, an unpaid leave, a furlough, unemployment, uh, uncertain. Like, I don't know. Like I'm still going to work every day. I'm still doing my thing every day, but I don't know how that's going to last the next two weeks or whatever. I, I think so. I think it's good, but I have no fucking clue what's going to happen. So I, I do think people are maybe a little bit more protective of their money. And, and when the idea is, okay, I have this $50 and then I have empty arena wrestling, like, do I really want to spend this for empty arena? I think, like I said, I don't think it's going to be like 20,000 people. I don't think it's like 30,000 people buy this thing and, and it's like a half of what they usually do. But I could see a, a slight drop off. You're 80 to 90,000, maybe check it out. Uh, 10,000 or so drop off, 20,000 or so drop off from what it usually is. I don't see it being a bloodbath, but I also don't see it, like you said, I don't see it being like, oh my God, 200,000. Everyone's just sitting home with nothing to do. So they gave us $50 to, you know, give us an escape, a three hour escape. Like, I don't think that's happening. Like we, I think we can, we've seen enough and, 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 and watched enough and, and, and looked at these numbers enough to know that that's not happening. This like, oh, people are bored. So they'll just watch anything like that. That's done. We know, we now know that's a complete fallacy that empty arena wrestling just doesn't have that attraction to people. Um, so I don't know. I guess AEW just if they go the hardest sell possible over the next two weeks, maybe they get everybody back and maybe they increase a slightly. But I'm I think you and I are, are are pretty close there. Where I think maybe a slight drop off. You think about the same. Uh, but I think it's completely unrealistic to think that they're going to get like some amazing number that's going to far eclipse like what they've had before. I mean, I think I don't I, don't. I I don't think it'll go up. Um, but I don't see it. I mean, anything below. <sighs> Anything below 60,000 would really surprise me. I think that, you know, wrestling fans too are incredibly loyal and I think they'll find the money. I do. I think that, I think these AEW fans will find the money. So we'll see though. You know, my, I, I want to see how I feel the week of the show. Um, but, We've got a couple weeks before we get to that. You know, the content doesn't stop. I mean, we, we you know, we got stuff for next week. And then uh, the week after that, you know, that's double or nothing already. So uh, we'll, one week we'll preview it. And obviously the next week we'll review it. But uh, let's get into Curtis Axel here. Uh, this strikes me as someone who asked for their release. Yes. Yeah, we, we saw that. I mean, that, that popped up uh, last week a little bit. 
is that WWE was giving releases to anybody who wanted it. You know, I, I can't imagine many people that would say, you know what, yeah, I would rather not make money uh, right now unless you've saved your money and you're kind of sick of the hassle and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, we, we saw you know that come out last week, and we heard again that that you know WWE has reiterated that hey, if you want to go, just let us know, we'll let you go. And yeah, Curtis Axel coming out out of no, you know out of nowhere, you know, a week or two after everybody else got released, strikes me as him just going, you know what, I'm I'm all right, you know what, guys, I'm good, just give me my release. Is how I read it, and and apparently more are on the way too. So I'll be interested to see who else uh, follows up. But yeah, it, it reads because I don't think they just forgot to call Curtis Axel and then oh yeah yeah no no you're fired dude <laughs> get out of here like this has to be him saying hey look you need to save money you want to do this stuff I- I'm cool just release me I'm good yeah this is breaking news as we uh, do the show live and uh, for those listening um, to the what do we call what do we even call that the replay what do we call the uh, recorded version of the show I don't know now? anymore yeah they're listening on their podcast app the, I guess the podcast because this isn't really a podcast anymore is it. Kind of for a, those for those listening on on demand, um, you know, this is breaking as we're doing the show live, so we don't know the details. They'll probably come out over the next couple of days. Or if you're one of those people that listen to the show late in the weekend, you might already have the answer. But yeah, I would think that if he was part of the larger cuts, it would have come out two weeks ago. I think that he's one of these where you know it, it, it's no secret they've told anyone in the company if you want to be released, let us know and we'll let you go. Um, now, when Curtis Axel raises his hand, you kind of understand it. If, uh, I don't know, Seth Rollins were to raise his hand, you think they're sitting him down in uh, Mr. McMahon's office and having a little chat to talk him out of it? I mean, Oh, for they, sure. Yeah, yeah. They say they'll release anyone. <laughs> right. But if Becky Lynch walks in the office or Charlotte Flair or, or Drew McIntyre or whoever, um, do they really mean it? I, you know, so it's just one of those things. It's real easy to say, you know what, Curtis, we hate to see you go, but uh, uh, we'll we'll do the right thing. Yeah, and, and best release- of luck in your future endeavors, pal, and <laughs> good handshake and get out of here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or they, an they elbow don't... rub, I should say, not a handshake, an elbow rub. Had, does he even come to work? I mean, are they bringing? No, I, I always, I always wonder that because that was always the the thing that people would laugh about with WCW, where like fucking Lanny Poffo just like fly to every town and go to every show, and there's like you know 150 guys backstage, and they use like 20 of them. I don't know what WWE does anymore with those guys. I don't know if they have people come every single. Well, week. under under normal circumstances, they absolutely bring everybody there. I know that, but I mean now, which is ludicrous, by the way, which is so ridiculous. Why do you do that? I don't. Well, you know, it's I mean, insane. Why would you do? Imagine like like arranging the flights and arranging the all this stuff for you know Primo and Epico to show up. I don't like. Well, those guys, I think, weren't. Well, I mean, prior. To, I mean, prior to when they were in like Puerto Rico and, and yeah, around yeah, yeah. or whatever. But like the two years where they would on and off use them, or like a Curtis Axel type, or or those sort of guys. Yeah, it's like the, the well, idea I, that like they're just sitting there, you know, sipping coffee and eating, you know, chicken breasts and catering. Like, yeah, I don't know, I'm probably not gonna use it today. That's fine. Like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? You got main event. You got. Uh... Has the was the X Man even on main event? I mean, I think he'd go through periods where I don't know what brand he's. I couldn't tell you what brand he's on. Yeah, gun to your head. <laughs> Which brand is Curtis Axel on? I I couldn't tell you, but I mean, he had periods. I don't know either. I mean, I was hoping you knew because I have no fucking clue. So. Um, there's two hundred five live. There's um. I oh, he, guess... he's SmackDown. He is a SmackDown man because he uh he wrestled Daniel Bryan on Friday Night SmackDown in February. So. So if you're a SmackDown guy, you're not even a main event guy. That's a Raw thing, right? Right. So. I mean, there's photo shoots. 
there's um the bump he maybe he was on the bump yeah i don't know i mean kelly's gotta have a show or something that you, you know here's the thing it's like a lot of times all of this shit is written day of so yeah, I get, you, yeah, I think you have to show up because, like, who the hell knows if Vince is going to have you fucking, you know, pin the fiend or something. You never know. You know what I mean? Like, you never know what, what Vince might need from you or, or watch. Well, maybe maybe this, not. So. I don't know if Curtis Axel's pinning the fiend. Well, maybe I he get... decides. No, I just mean, like, one day Vince just says, fuck it. I don't, I don't like this fiend. He's weird. <laughs> he decides he's going to bury him. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, the idea being stuff changes at a moment's notice and it, it you know, it'd be annoying you know, you can't just bring in the crew that yet you, you plan on using and then you change things. And so you just have everybody there. I mean, they, you, people got to come to work. I mean, it doesn't necessarily, you might not get on camera, but they're bringing you to work. So I don't know. Um, look, the roster was bloated. We all knew that, you know, we talked about this a million times. If these were just cuts during normal times, I don't think anyone would be outraged by it because, you know, we all concede that the roster was a little bloated. And under normal circumstances, all of these people who were released, I mean, you know, you never celebrate releases, but at least they'd have a fair opportunity to get work somewhere else. Nobody else is running. So, you know, we, we went we went down that road. It's just the circumstances of the releases, which are gross. Not the fact that they cut talent. I mean, they were they, that was a long time coming, honestly. I mean, they're just hoarding people. But I, I suspect this is a guy who rose his hand and said, yeah, you know, I'll take the 90 day. And um, and then uh, see what I'll do from there because you know his career obviously was going nowhere. Um, you know he was never getting a push again. I mean we could agree on that. Um, the last time he got pushed, and I mean like a real, you have a chance to be a top player and make real money push. It was probably the Heyman thing that yeah. didn't work out. Yeah, when he was the Paul Heyman guy for <laughs> a little while there. Yeah, I mean the rest is just. He got some prelim level pushes. I mean, the B team thing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's people who will scream and say, well, they were the tag team champions. Of course they were pushed, but that wasn't a push. I mean, anybody with a brain knows that that's not true. They were, they were prelim guys, you know, whether they held the tag team titles or not. I mean, it's the iconics argument, you know, it's the same thing. Um, And then there were other things I'm sure that, you know, we're forgetting where he had little, but I mean, uh, you know, he, he, you know, the Ryback thing, I guess was kind of a mini prelim level, but, but no serious push since the Heyman association, which didn't work out. And from there he was never getting pushed again. Um, so he probably was realistic about it. Yeah. And even that, uh, if you remember the Heyman thing too, it was, it was weird at the time. Nobody quite understood it. And the push was like, he fought triple H three straight weeks on TV or whatever. And I think he won via, like, a no contest, kind of. And then, like, he won via DQ. And then he beat him, I think, legit one time. And it was, like, obvious that it was, like, not a real... You know what yeah, I mean? Like, but, but, but the way this company books, do we know if that was a legitimate attempt to push him that just came off flat? Or do we think that Oh, that I was... think that they thought... Because they, they think... I do think that they think, like, oh, well, he's in the ring with Triple H. And he's giving him, he's giving him everything he's got. You know, that, right. that that's a push. Is ah, oh, well, he took Triple H to the limits. So, no, I believe absolutely that was a push. They just couldn't... You know, he... And he sort of won against Triple H. But not a lot. And, and the Heyman rub was supposed to do something. And and it, it you know it it lasted for a little bit it existed but yeah nobody remembers anything else besides Paul Heyman calling you know Curtis Axel you know or, or, or yeah Paul Heyman calling him a Kurt, you know Curtis Axel Paul Heyman guy and then yeah pretty much pretty quickly after that it was you know done 
the nothing, and then he did the Sandow thing and the B team, like you said, and and, and yeah, it, it never his career never really quite got going. And, and and you know when I wanted to wanted to talk about him on the show, the one thing I was going to bring up is is do we do we feel like he's a missed opportunity in any way, or was he just never that good? Because I don't think I, he was very good. He's just a guy, right? Between the bells, I mean, you take away his lineage, and he never even has the job. I mean, he shows up to his father's. Hall of Fame induction, and then after rubbing elbows with everyone and being a you know a, a guy with some decent size who had some athleticism, he he got the itch. He doesn't even get the opportunity if he's not Kurt Henning's son, right? You know, so no, and and then you know I don't think he was an awful pro wrestler, but I can't call him a good one. He was just a guy, you know, and um, you know, and, and I think that was part of the problem especially in an era where work rate matters more than it ever did previously. You could be a bad wrestler and be a big star, but it's harder now. It's harder now. Even in that company, I, you know, the matches are longer and they're more athletic and all those sorts of things. And no, I, I think that I don't think they missed out on anything. I think, you know, they love the second and third generation people and they get more chances than everybody else so um i just think he didn't have it but you know you know and i agree they, they do they give those guys second chances but the idea that like right out of the gates we're gonna not mention at all that he's you know mr perfect son that he's oh, related well, that to kurt hennig like well, like yeah. that, that didn't help either like michael mcgillicuddy is never gonna work <laughs> you know what i mean like that is i never understood at the time i ne- i still to this day have no clue why you would bring in a, a, a third generation wrestler like Kurt Hennig or, 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 or you know Curtis Axel or whatever Joe, Joe Hennig, Hennig whatever yeah and decide ah you know what pal Michael McGinnica that's gonna, gonna work for you like I, I just don't understand why you would do that like why would you bring in a they didn't bring in Randy Orton and call him something else he was fucking Randy Orton you know Bob Orton you know that guy yeah here's Randy Orton like I but this was that was in the period and, and this FCW period is a very weird period as well where they just they had to change everyone's names everybody had to have weird strange names they just ran away like Husky Harris is another one instead yeah. of saying yeah this is Mike Rotunda's son it was Husky Harris and you know I think it was fine because he doesn't resemble I mean like being the son of Mike Rotunda is going to get you you know I don't know how far is that going to really get you so, you're right. That one I'm I never really had an issue with, but it was like, oh my god, the son of Kurt Hennig, and you're gonna call him Michael McGillicuddy? The fuck are you doing? No, yeah, no. From that aspect, I can see where you're where what you're getting at. Then, like, I don't know if it had they said, hey, here's Joe Hennig, the next, you know, the third generation, Larry the Axe Hennig, Kurt Hennig, and now Joe Hennig. Like, I still think the bell rings, and it's still you know Curtis Axel, Joe Hennig. Like, I still don't think it, but I think it never could have gotten where. I mean, I it, it didn't get off the ground running very quickly. And I think he never really recovered from that. No, yeah, and you're right. It Vince goes through his moods. Sometimes he wants guys to have real names or the names of their families, and other times he wants to completely change it. And that that was a just bad luck to come up during a period where they were in a ridiculous name period, you know. And they, and they go through swings with that kind of stuff. And yeah, Michael McGillicuddy. I mean, was he? Like in in canon, was he supposed to be related to Beulah McGillicuddy? I never really understood that one. You know, I'm sure that's where they got the name from, though, right? I mean, what would be the odds that that would just be happenstance that two McGillicuddies, uh, you know, would come through wrestling in the same 15 year period or whatever? But um, yeah, it was an awful name. And Curtis Axel, obviously paying homage to both his father and his grandfather, 
But what you're saying is, was it on the nose enough to where uh, your your typical WWE fan made the connection? Right. You didn't... and I knew what the fuck. You know, we knew what Curtis Axel meant. But does, yeah, does your 11-year-old, your 15-year-old wrestling fan, do they have any fucking clue that Curtis Axel's a nod to Kurt Hennig and Larry the Axe <laughs> Like, I... Probably yeah. not. But at the end of the day, he just wasn't that good. No, and that's what I mean. Like, I think he started off bad, but even when the bell rang, I don't think that. And and that was a period, too, of, of FCW that, like, you know, there's some, there's some obviously, some guys that came out of there that were good, that were decent, that are still, you know, but there was also a lot of shit coming out of that time. Your Johnny Curtis's, your Alex Riley's, your Mason Ryan's, your Eli Cottonwood's, your Lucky Cannon's, you know what I mean? Like, we kind of romanticize FCW in some ways because there are, you know, your Roman Reigns and your Seth Rollins and those sort of guys. But yeah, there's also Percy Watson. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a lot of crap coming out of FCW at that time, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then perfect. There you go. But um, what was I going to say? I mean, I, I don't think he was horrendous, but he just didn't have the necessary charisma. Nah. And he wasn't any kind of blow away worker. The best thing he ever did in the company and it wasn't Rybaxel. <sighs> it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the Nexus. It wasn't Michael McGillicuddy on NXT. It wasn't uh, the B team. I hated the B team. Um, it was man's man. It was real man Curtis Axel. That's what it was. Real man Curtis. Do you remember real man? I do. Curtis I was going to say. I thought you were going to say. Go ahead with this one. I, I have what I actually think is my fa- my favorite Curtis Axel memory. But go ahead with yours first. I'm going with real man Curtis Axel, and he only did this on either main event or may have even been superstars at the time before they did away with that. But it was on one of the B shows or C shows, whatever you want to call them. And it didn't last long, maybe a month, maybe six weeks, but he was just, it was kind of in the vein of Silas young, right? Kind of that kind of gimmick. And he would just fucking rip on people. Like he, I remember him saying that Callisto or Sin Cara, I think it was Sin Cara. He wears a mask because he's so ugly and he can't get any women. So he wears a mask to hide his face. Or like a woman coming into the frame and he would call her fat. Like, but that was never going to fly. <laughs> right. on anything but superstars. Like, yeah. like, even in WWE, which isn't exactly the woke company in pro wrestling, it was still a bridge too far. Now, I thought it was awesome because, you know, I just, you know, I think wrestling should be sleazy and, and stupid and silly. And I think it was over the top enough. And he was a heel, which makes it, I think it's, I think heels should be able to get away with with stuff that baby faces shouldn't be right. As long as they get their it. ass kicked in the end, but you know, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of other people don't understand that with heels and wrestling anymore. It's just, you know, they don't like Lance within... Archer is beating this young guy up. I hate this. This is bad. It's like, well, okay. Like, yeah. Like within reason, I don't want heels out there throwing out slurs and stuff, but you right, get right, the idea. Right. Like I, I think heels should be able to, uh, you know, be shitty from a moral standpoint. And that character was just a lot of fun, but there was no fucking way that even that company was putting it on TV. Um, but I wish they would have for at least a couple weeks just so we could have uh, basked in the glory of some of the reactions to it. But it was interesting, and you could tell that he was getting a kick out of it. And, um, you know, he had me fired up to watch Superstars there for a couple of weeks. But what was yours? Uh, mine was the uh, – do you remember the Axel Mania uh, thing? So it, it was – I think it was Royal Rumble 2015. Uh, he was going to come out, I think it was, yeah, he was going to come out, I, don't, I forget his number or whatever, but he was he was ready to come out, they played his music, he went out, and then Eric Rowan beat him up, and he never got in. But he never officially entered the Royal Rumble either. 
So then he on Twitter just started talking about, hey, you know, I never officially, ent- you know, entered. So I guess I'm never officially eliminated. And it started a trend. And then a bunch of people started getting in. And then he kind of did like a Zack Ryder thing where he kind of made his own angle on Twitter. And, made, and, and and was selling, like, Axel Mania shirts and, like, hey, look, I should actually be facing Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 31 and all this sort of stuff. And I remember they actually used it on TV a little bit, too, where he came in, he would rip his shirt off, he was kind of like a, a pseudo-Hulk Hogan or whatever, and then people just, like, beat the fuck out of him and get him out of here or whatever. And it was it was kind of cool. It was actually uh, – I, I liked it. It was a nice thing, and it, it showed him some per- – it showed some personality for him as well. And it was one of those things that, like, hey, it's organically getting over. Like, hey, there's something going on here. And they actually didn't fully fuck it up. Because what they did is he did, he he went to the Andre the Giant Battle Royal at WrestleMania, and he got in the middle of the ring and ripped his shirt off and said Axel Mania baby, and then like everybody turned around and just was like fuck this guy and tossed him out of the ring, and it was kind of fun. And then like that it was over after that. But at least for a month time it was like hey look this guy's actually kind of funny. Hey look this guy's like anytime they do something even remotely organic or just let something kind of come up on its own without it being forced down your throat. It's interesting, and that's why I always liked that Axel Mania thing a little bit. I mean, it wasn't, like, great. It wasn't really good, and, well, I mean, it's Curtis Axel. I mean, we're really scratching the surface for any, like, Curtis Axel highlights or whatever. But I did always like that, though. It did feel kind of organic, and, and anytime that happens, I, I, I enjoy that. Didn't they follow up on it with the next Rumble? Or am I misremembering? Yes. I think he came out and they were like, oh my God, it's, it's you know, Curtis Axel. He never got eliminated. And then I think he was out in like 10 seconds or something like that after the next yeah. time. So they, they, they still remembered it, which is always kind of cool. And it's one of those things that like they, I, I think the other reason I liked it too is because so often WWE doesn't exist in any sort of realm of reality. It's just its own world, its own universe or whatever. So the idea that like, they knew that some fans had picked up on that this guy had never really entered, so he had never really lost, and just said, you know what, go with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just do it. I like that. You, you know, sometimes it's nice when they just kind of let things happen. But yeah. So rarely yeah. happens, though. So, that's like... so, you see any future for this guy? I could easily see him being someone who just never wrestles again. Because um, he, he didn't, this wasn't his, He this was a late, by wrestling standards, a late in life decision. Wasn't he already like 30 when he got yeah, into he's, this? Yeah, he's 40 for people that don't know. He is not like 34 years old or in the pro- He is 40 years old. So, um, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, he's now, got like, I think he graduated with like a full degree. And like, I, I don't know. He, I see him as just done. I think he's got a family. He's got kids. This I, is a guy who he got into it when he was in his 30s already, right? He already presumably had a career. He had a nice run. I mean, this guy spent, what, a decade or over a decade? Yeah, I think he officially joined WWE in 2007. Oh, my God, 13 years. Right. How long on the main roster? At least, like, 2009. Uh, main roster, well, so if you, if you count the original Nexus one, that was 2010. Then he went back to NXT for a few years. 2013 is when he officially, officially was, was main roster for life. Then after that. Okay, he's been on and off the main roster for a decade and was seven years straight. From his final call up. Yeah, as long as he didn't spend stupid money on a bunch of bullshit, he's good to just kind of chill out and fish or do whatever whatever the fuck he wants to do. So especially if he already had a career and could get back into whatever it is he was doing. You know, it's it's but um yeah, I mean that's from his standpoint, he's probably he could be one of these guys who's thinking, I'm forty years old, um, I've taken enough bumps, I succeeded in this thing from you know uh, I wanted to give it a shot, and I lasted for 13 years, 10 of those on the main roster. I could easily see him saying, this was a success, and I'm done, and I'm healthy, and I'm young, and I'm out. I could easily see that. 
rather than someone who's going to go do an indie grind. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't. I mean, I honestly, if if I was to bet, I would say this dude never wrestles again. It's definitely a possibility. I mean, shows up for, you know, autograph shows, maybe. That's good money. Why if not? We were, <laughs> if, we, if we weren't in the pandemic, he'd undoubtedly take those first few big money bookings coming off, coming, you know, I said off TV. Guy's been off TV for. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Imagine, but, you know, imagine on your poster, Joe Hennig debuts with Northeastern Wrestling. Yeah. yeah. I don't, uh, yeah. But I mean, these promoters, I mean, they book these guys every right, time. Right, they right. But now it might be so long. We talked about that a couple weeks ago where it might not, he might not be able to benefit off of that because he'll cool off by then. But um, outside of that, yeah, it wouldn't stun me at all if he never wrestled again. But I don't know his relationships. Again, we had the same conversation about some other people. If he's got some close buddies, I don't know what his relationship is with Cody. I mean, maybe they're pals. Maybe that's why he asked for his release. Maybe he has a job waiting for him as an underneath guy in AEW, or they have an idea for him, which I can't imagine they'd have an idea for him. But who knows? I mean, weirder things. But he's not a guy who I would say would pop up in Ring of Honor. Oh, God, no. Yeah, no way. Or, you know, go to Japan and work fucking... Zero one tours and try to build like that. I don't see at all. It's he he really feels like more than anyone an AEW or bust guy, right? I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I I I don't have a good read on on the the relationships of Curtis. Like you said, I have no clue who you know was buddies with him in FCW. Who's buddies with him today? Like I don't know that I have a good read on Curtis Axel or the 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 you know I don't know if we even follow Curtis Axel on Twitter or whatnot. So it's not like I see him like hanging out at indie shows or like hanging out with indie wrestlers or whatever. I have no clue what, what his, his background or history is. He just strikes me as a guy, 40 years old, look at, you know, young kids, a career already, a decade plus that might just say, ah, you know what? I'm good. You know? And, and, and some people in the chat room are saying, well, why would you not just, you know, stay home and get paid? Why would you ask for your release? Well, how do we know he's not getting his 90 day? Right. I don't know the details. This is all breaking now. I don't know the details of his release. Yeah, we saw he just screams like he he to me is is one of those guys. And I think the other thing, too, is is think of the peace of mind. I'm I'm assuming he asked for his release. Right, right, right. But even if he did, even if he did ask for his release, there's also a peace of mind of like, you know, sitting down at the kitchen table with your your wife and saying, look, if they call and say they need you, is it okay if I go or like, you know, some of these guys just want to, you know, say, you know what? I'm good. Just give me my give me my my buyout or whatever the hell the contract is going to be. Give me my downside, and I'm good. Like you know, I don't I don't really because some of these guys don't want to get the call. You, you know what I mean? Like that might be the thing that he's got plans. He's sitting at home. He's doing stuff like this. He doesn't want. Hey, how's it going, pal? Like we need you here for TV. You know, and then he's got to pack up all of his things, get on a plane, and fly to you know Orlando to do that. I mean, he doesn't want to do that stuff. Like that. That's people sort of assume that like you just kick back with your la- your, your feet up and, and and cash the checks. And some guys do, but also people like that peace of mind of knowing you know what. But let me just close this chapter of my life and move on to whatever's next. You know, like you said, goes back to do a normal job, wants to do stuff with his kids. The idea that you don't have to sit by the phone and wait and see, ah, fuck, they're going to call me. Like, you don't know that they're not going to call you, that they're not going to need you. Yeah. Especially now, if you got a family and kids and stuff, you don't want that call. Where, hey, yeah, we need you for TV. We're going to run a program with you for the next few weeks or whatever. You don't know that that's not coming. So if you get the option of, hey, we'll give you this lump sum of money and then you go, yeah, why wouldn't you take that? I mean, it's different, you know, if you're 27 years old and you're single during this thing. And- yeah, you're bored. Yeah. Then you're like, fuck yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. But no, no, no. If, you've, if you're 40 years old and you saved your money and you want to make sure that you can spend time with your family or you want to make sure you're you're ready for whatever the next chapter of your life is. Yeah, you, you take the opportunity. Rather than, like you're saying, 
waiting for a phone call to come do a four minute match on main event. You know, and yeah, you're, you're you know you're you're hanging out with your kids in the backyard. Now, honey, it's you know it's WWE. Be like they need you tomorrow in Orlando. Like, yeah, that sucks. Like you don't want that. So you got to put on a mask and get on a plane. And then wait outside for your four-minute match and then go inside and wrestle your four-minute match and put your mask back on and get back on a plane. Right. If you've lost the love, like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that shit. Yeah, because this is a guy who's, again, he's never getting pushed. So, you know, I think the the situation we're in, you know, may have expedited some of these decisions for some of these guys. But this is all an exercise – and trying to get inside of someone's head who we have never met. <laughs> I know nothing about Curtis Axel. Nothing never. about. I mean, he could be champing at the bit to, yeah. to, to come to out and double or nothing and screw over uh, Jake Hager and start a you know new program. <laughs> yeah. For all, for all I know, he's been texting back and forth with like John Thorne. And he's going to pop up on AIW shows and, and uh, you know. He's uh, going to pivot to death matches in, in a year's time. Yes. He's going <laughs> to. He's like, been. Maybe he's been watching Game Changer on Fight, and he can't wait to get his hands on Nick Gage. I mean, I I don't know. You know, it's just it's just you're trying to, you know, we got to do a show here, okay? We got we got time to kill. We got no topics this week. You think Curt, you think Curtis Axel would have gotten more than two minutes on it? Rich, there's some weeks we wouldn't even have addressed. I would Curtis not have Axel. even. You would have said, "Hey, do we want to talk about Curtis Axel?" And I'd say, "Yeah, well, who cares? Now we're good." And then we just don't talk about. It. We just did 25 minutes on Curtis Axel because there's nothing else to talk about. Okay, so let's pivot off of this. Yeah, let's please. Let's please do that. Uh, let's do the, the – uh, how about Impact Rebellion? Oh, right let's now. do Impact Rebellion, yes. Night two, Joe. Well, Last week I was mean, night one. This week was night two. It's too big for one night. So, of course, it had to be two nights. I don't know about you, big picture thoughts, but um, I thought night two sucked ass, and I thought night one – which wasn't even great, uh, was way better than night two. Yeah, um, you agree? Uh, um, yeah, I was I, I was done with the show, and I remember closing my laptop and just being like, "Man, I hope Joe hated that show because I really fucking hated it." Because I thought if you were like, "Yeah, it was okay," or like I didn't want you to be like, "Yeah, it was fine. It was an all right wrestling show." I was like, "I really hope Joe hates this because I think it'd be a lot more fun if he and I both hate it." As opposed to you being like, ah, oh, you know what, that cousin Jake Jones must be right. Like, it was a solid match. Like, good solid matches up and down. I thought this was just like, it was weird. Everything was too long. It was, the last two matches just didn't do it for me. Yeah, I didn't. I, I'm looking at the card now, looking at all the matches that happened. Like, three of the matches were fine, but they just didn't. I don't know. They just, everything was long and just, I don't, ugh, it was a bad show. Night one had that half hour between... Uh, Willie Mack and Ace Austin and Kylie Ray versus Kira Hogan, which was a legitimately an enjoyable half hour of wrestling. All right, those were legit good uh, matches. I mean, they, they, yeah, for yeah. sure. Night two um, just wasn't very good. So um, let's go through it. Looking for my notes. That's NXT. We're not doing NXT. Uh, Impact Rebellion. Nope, that's night one. What a disaster. <laughs> Where's my fucking notes? I don't know. Do you want me to start? Do you want me to start off and while you? Uh... Uh, Rummage through your paper, paper. yeah. Uh, I want I want to do the gimmick. I want to be Brian and you be Dave. So I will do the talk. Okay, I found it. Okay, um, so we start off with a four way. We had Suicide, who I greatly suspect was T.J. Perkins. <laughs> but how is that possible though? Suicide was not T.J. Perkins last week. He was T.J. Perkins last week in the in the tag match with Falaba, right? So he's already in the building. Hmm. He's done it before. We just talked about Manic in Cork and Hall, right? 
Um, you know, so and then he did the spot where he catches himself <laughs> in the ropes. Right? I mean it, it it did. I'm not I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I just I have no idea who Suicide could be. I mean it, it definitely uh it's like when uh <laughs> Coda was tiger masking. It's like who is this tiger mask? Because he does, you know, the, the, the corner moon salt or whatever, and does exact just an exact replication of a Kota Bushi match, and it's like, oh man, all right, really, really making it tough to figure out uh, who you could be. Yeah, I, I, I am led to believe this was also uh, one TJ Perkins. But well, let's go through this. It wasn't. I don't think they'd bring in Caleb Conley to do it under these circumstances. Well, did you watch the Impact show the, or the, the TNA Throwback show? Because there, there was Manic teaming with Suicide on that show. Wow. Yeah. That would have been great. Scott Demore was just like, this is ridiculous. How could this, how is this possible? Like it was actually a pretty fun match, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. So I, I always wonder who's, who's suicide then. I don't where, can I, where can I see this suicide versus manic match? Uh, or no suicide and manic team together against Johnny Swinger and kid cash. Uh, TNA, uh, uh, it was the, um, it was called one night. I guess it was a one night only or whatever, but it was their, uh, their impact, their, their TNA show. Uh, it was on. It, it, do you do you DVR every uh, impact? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it should be on there. It should be on there. Yeah, I I don't know if it, um, I don't know if it was Hold I don't on. know if it was different though. I got like a hundred of them. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, check check to see. It would have been on. Uh, I think I don't remember the date it aired. I have the tape date here, but I don't remember if it aired. It should say the return of impact uh, uh, of TNA or TNA one night only or TNA something. Well. We'll figure this out later. Or we can torture the live listeners with this and then edit it out later. <laughs> That's true. We could do that. So. Joe, don't go out of your way to watch this too much. The matches were Hernandez versus Chase Stevens, Maddock and Suicide versus Swinger and Kid Cash, and your main event was Rhino versus Mad Mad Fulton. So don't uh, don't fall over yourself to get to Why wouldn't I go out of my way to watch that? That sounds awesome. <laughs> Chase Stevens? Chase Stevens. Yeah, I need to find that. In Scott fact, Moore's like, whoa, is that Chase Stevens? <laughs> it's, like, it's so great. Even he was surprised. Um, <laughs> I need to put this on right now, I think. Um, I need to see this manic suicide team. But anyway, uh, I don't think they'd bring in Caleb Conley for this under these circumstances. I really don't think Frankie Kazarian. Mm. Would be do, do we think, hold on a minute. Do we think, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you think Cage Match would know who was who? Well, they're just going to guess. Do you want me who, to? Do you want me to unmask somebody here? Who's doing impacts? Who's doing impact for cage match? Do we know the answer to that? I don't know that. I don't know. Because I'm, we probably know the person doing it. Number one, and we could ask them. They're probably just guessing, and I'm sure they just said it was TJP. So, well, on TNA one night only, Manic, of course, TJ Perkins. Hard to, you know, right. to fake that. Uh, they claim suicide on that night. Warning for everybody who doesn't want me to ruin Christmas uh, was Caleb Conley on that night. Oh, so the, so Conley still has a connection to Impact. Yes, potentially. That's what they said. It was in Georgia. Oh, come on. We're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and TJP's already in the building. <laughs> it should have been TJP. Yes, I agree. It should probably be TJ Perkins who gets a towel after his match and then <laughs> puts himself into the suicide thing uh, and, and goes out there. I would I would hope that is the case. So yeah, you, who you continue. Who, who was the Japanese guy who was suicide for a while? Oh man. Uh... Jeez, I don't know if I remember who that was. Akira Rajin, or what, what was that guy's name? Pull, pull that. Hold on. Right, I'll let's pull see. It up. Suicide. Well, if you type in Suicide Japan, it doesn't immediately bring it up. No, no, no. Just <laughs> Believe it or not, it doesn't go where you want it to go. It goes to uh, the death rate. In, uh... Oh, probably that forest, right? Oh, right. I forget. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't there a suicide forest in Japan I think where so. they go to off themselves? Yeah. 
Didn't like uh, one of those YouTubers, Logan Paul or something, get in trouble because he went there and I think he went there and like took a picture, like a selfie with it or something. Like that. With like a dead guy hanging from a tree or something. Yeah, yeah, real classy move. Um, oh, oh, I clicked the wrong one. <laughs> you know why? You know why? Here's the thing: cage match isn't any good for this because each different suicide is listed differently. Oh man! So it's like there's got to be one. Oh, here it is. Here's the Japanese suicide. His it, it's uh. Yeah, Kira Raijin. I got it. Why do we even waste time doing that? What's Kira Raijin? Kiyoshi. Remember Kiyoshi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think it was him. <laughs> you don't think they said it? I don't think they flew that man in from – who's this suicide from Cartersville, Georgia? Oh, that's Caleb Connelly. That would be Caleb Connelly. Yeah, yeah. That's an obvious one. Yeah, I, I tend to think that, the, uh, that they are correct on the one for the uh, TNA one night only. Because it was in Georgia, so Caleb's Makes probably sense. 10 minutes away or whatever. You know, he could probably drive over there uh, real quick. As far as, as, you know, flying in Caleb Conley or getting Caleb Conley to come in to, you know, to Nashville to tape, I'm, I, I'm guessing it was probably T.J. Perkins, yes. Well, I mean, you're not getting Chris Daniels or Kazarian. Tough right? gets, yeah. They're hard to get these days, especially for, you know. Flying a man in from uh, Hyogo, Japan. I don't think you're bringing in Conley. Did you know Jonathan Gresham was once suicide? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember that, but I don't remember that either. Um, we're wasting way too much time. <laughs> this is bad. This is really bad. Yeah, I mean, there's other men who could have put on that outfit in the building, but but if you have TJP there, and here's the thing, he did the TJP spot in the ropes. Right, 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 right. And then he kind of moved around like TJP. Or okay, let's say that you're. I don't know, um, Dez from the fucking Rascals, and you're doing suicide tonight. Wouldn't you do the TJP? You, of course you would. Yeah, you, you'd get in the ring there for a little bit and say, hey, guys, I need five minutes to try to kind of figure out how to do the suicide thing, and then you got it. Like, Des, you think Desmond Xavier can't figure out how to do the uh, TJP hanging the ropes thing? He can't. Yeah, just to, throw, just to throw people off, right? Right. Because I don't think, like, Caleb Conley or – Jonathan Gresham do that spot when they're suicide, but that's like a TJP suicide spot because it's a TJP spot. So maybe if you were Wentz and you were suicide that night, you're like, oh, I'm going to fuck with people and I'm going to do TJP spot to throw people off. But this was probably TJP. It probably was TJP. After after 15 minutes of investigation, Joe, I believe um, I believe we can – I'm comfortable saying this was TJ Perkins. So continue. Uh, Rich, according to someone in the live chat, Brian Stafford says that suicide looked like Ace Austin on hmm. night two. I, I don't think Ace Austin could do the TJP hanging the ropes thing. Well, he gives evidence. Okay. He says he looked like Ace Austin on night two because of his chunky thighs <laughs> and bum. So what do you think of the chunky thighs? I, don't, thigh? I, I can't compare his bum to uh, TJ Perkins' bum, unfortunately, though. So. You weren't checking out Suicide's bum? I wasn't checking out Suicide's bum. I'd have to go back and, and, and see. Um, I mean... I guess Ace Austin would be there too. Yes, he would. But why would you not have TJ Perkins be suicide? There's no there. reason not to be TJ Perkins. <laughs> like, imagine TJ Perkins. They're like, all right, uh, Ace, here's the suicide outfit. And he's like, you know, I'm here, guys. You can just have me be suicide. Yeah. Okay. So we had Suicide, who we think was TJ Perkins, Chris Bay, uh, Rahit Raju, and Trey. Because if you remember, from the Treehouse, from the Treehouse, baby. The other two guys, Wentz and Dez, they had a match last week on night one in the uh, three-way tag. So Trey was in this four-way here. Um, look, this was a typical four-way opener. I like the spot where Raju 
and uh, and Chris Bay were going to do a double dive, but Raju stopped and then hit Bay in the balls. Yeah, Raju's great. I fucking love Raju, man. He's 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 really good in AEW too. Uh, he plays a completely different character, you know, in in, in the Indies and especially here in, in Chicago, or whatever. But I like him in Impact too, man. I, he's just a chicken shit heel, and I love that stuff. Yeah, and uh, he got a near fall on on Bay with that spot. And then in my notes here, it says suicide dash TJP question mark. <laughs> See, so this was a you know um, a mystery that that might never be solved ever. So the finish here, Raju steals Trey Trey's pin on suicide, but then Chris Bay kicks Raju in the back of the head and then steals his pin, and uh, Chris Bay uh, wins the match. A little long. But uh, perfectly fine for the spot it was in. Yeah, I, I liked it, but it, it, to me, the thing that that caught me was it went really, really long, and I was thinking, okay, cool. Well, this match is going long because a lot of the other stuff on the show is going to go short. Then, like, oh, good, good idea. You know, go a little bit long with this opener, and then you know, tighten up the rest of the show. Eh, it wasn't really what happened at all. So yeah, this went eleven minutes, which is, again is fine. But yeah, it, 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 it yeah. <laughs> it, this this was not the egregiously long match on the show. Well. I think it was the of the four matches. This was the least egregious. I, exactly. That's that's what I was so surprised at. I'm like, oh man, they went long here. Cool. The rest of these are going to be tight little five minute, six minute, seven minute, or whatever match, except for the main event. Uh, and that was absolutely not the case. The rest of the show, every this, yeah, I would definitely agree with you. The least egregiously long match on the entire show. So Josh Matthews and Madison Rain run down. They recap last week. And then they run down the rest of what we're going to see on tonight's show. Uh, I didn't like their commentary as much this week. Did you notice a difference? Yeah, or? I don't know why it was obviously taped on like the same day, but it did. It was a little grind. It kind of grinded on me a little bit. The the you know, and Madison wasn't giving as much to Matthews, and and Matthews was you know a little bit more in control. It felt like, and I don't know. I liked when Madison was a little bit more you know. She didn't really say much on night two, and and really what she said it was like she was trying to be kind of like a pseudo fake heel the entire time, kind of, and it was just kind of weird. And I, I like the uh, the weird sexual tension between the couple that we got on night one, whereas night two just felt like your standard kind of wrestling commentary, heel baby face arguing with each other type stuff. So, so Josh has Tessa on the Skype slash Zoom slash iPhone, whatever gimmick it was. She says she's sorry she can't be there. And uh, the only message that she has for Mike Elgin is to be the man, you got to beat the man or woman. So that was uh, <laughs> I thought she, I thought she said the man and sometimes the man is a woman. <laughs> I thought that's what she said. But the way you said it sounds better. But uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't a, a stirring promo in any uh, way, shape or form, though. Unfortunately. No, it was not was not a great promo. I did not see this. I wasn't really paying attention, but someone pointed this out on Twitter that Tessa must not have had the actual world title with her because in the background over her shoulder, it appeared to be a replica, like the kind you can buy on the website with like a fake nameplate, like a homemade nameplate. I don't know if that was someone doing shtick on Twitter or if that was the case. And I think I deleted the show, but um, you might want to go back and check that out. She may have had a fake replica world title over her shoulder. Because uh, maybe she just doesn't travel around with the thing. Maybe they just keep it with the props when you show up to the building. I don't know the deal. I don't know if it's like 1983 where you got to lug the thing around. <laughs> throw a deposit down on the thing. Yeah. I would hate that, man. Wouldn't you hate that? I would never want to be a champion if I had to lug that fucking thing around my, you know, yeah, my you luggage hear, all the time. Did you ever hear Jake Roberts talk about that? Someone asked him one time if he was upset that he was never a world champion. And his reply was he didn't want to be any kind of champion. Because you got to carry this dopey title around, and a lot of times you got to put deposits down on it. 
And it's a pain in the balls. His whole thing was, as long as I'm book strong and I'm getting paid, let someone else carry the title. <laughs> right, exactly. Let somebody else fucking go through the security at, at the, the fucking airport or let somebody else's luggage be two times as heavy because they're carrying about a big fucking hunk of gold. Yeah, screw that. I'm good. And, and if you look at his career, he didn't hold a ton of No, <laughs> he probably, they said, hey, Jake, uh, ah, I'm good. Yeah, I don't need the title. Yeah, he held some titles in the territory days and whatnot. He yeah, but he wasn't like any. he was an icy champion or anything like that. He didn't want any of that no. shit. He, he, had, he had to carry a snake. I mean, he had enough stuff to worry about already. He had to lug that fucking snake around, you know? So he ended up losing in the end anyway because I'd rather carry the belt around than the fucking snake. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's a legitimate thing that you bring up. A lot of guys, at least in, in the older days when, when they were less of – when guys didn't grow up as fans, when you grew up as a debt collector or you were just a – fucking construction worker or a bouncer and somehow you fell into this thing and you weren't really a fan and you weren't really a mark so to speak they didn't care about winning a lot of these guys less people back then cared about winning titles and they just saw it as like an albatross ah now i got an extra fucking 10 pounds in my bag whereas now most of these guys grew up as fans and i think they kind of enjoy winning titles you know they kind of and i'm not judging them or saying they're wrong for it but i think they kind of see it as like you know, a status, uh, you know, the promoter likes me. I'm the fucking champion. You know, back then it wasn't always that way with a lot of guys. So uh, next we have Joseph P. Ryan representing cancel culture. Hashtag cancel culture. Yeah, that's right. Taking on Cousin Jake from the Deaners. Uh, the only Deaner available to uh, be at the show. So that was Joseph P. Ryan's opponent. The Deaners in Canada, correct? Yes. So Cousin Jake, of course, is Jake something. And, uh, what a waste of Jake something. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Utter waste. I mean, this guy's a fucking hoss. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I, I, for some reason, I forgot that Cousin Jake was Jake something until he came out. And I'm like, motherfucker, that's Jake something. What the hell is he doing? Like, Yeah. Um, you know, he's a hoss. He's hard hitting. He's got a, you know, he, he look, there's things he could work on, obviously. I mean, he's not the most charismatic guy, but he's big and he has a good look. And I've always felt that there was potential there. Uh, this gimmick, though, is not it. But, you know, does it really matter in impact at this point? Oh, maybe it does for them because he's a guy who this could be a company where there is maybe a path to the top. Right, right, right. So uh, it, it'd actually be the opposite. But this was an arm match. Joseph P. Ryan uh, worked over Cousin Jake's arm. Right. Well, uh, well in, in that same breath, like you're talking about where, where... – Jake something should think, ah, oh, geez, like, this is really the right, like, Joey Ryan's totally just being like, yeah, this will be hilarious, I'll, I'll come out as the cancel culture guy, because he knows it's never gonna matter, nobody cares, he does his little thing, he he, he comes up for impact, shows up, does these things, like, nobody's gonna care what, you know, the, the legacy of Joey Ryan in no way, shape, or form is gonna be molded by Joseph P. Ryan, so, yeah, go in there, have a little fun, have a little bit of a different character, I, I actually like the Joseph P. Ryan character, it's, it's cool. Fan of the cancel culture. See, a lot of people are annoyed by it, but for silly reasons. I mean, it's a heel, first of all. I mean, it's a heel gimmick. Yeah, he's a douchebag, and you're supposed to hate him. You're supposed to think he's annoying as fuck. You're supposed to think it's annoying that he's, uh, you know, uh, railing, uh, you, you know, you get the idea. Oh, but I, I get I, is, is the idea that, like, why is he a heel? He should be a face or something. I don't know. what. Uh... No, the idea is. And I mean, like, the people that get mad about. Yeah, the people right. that get mad about it, the idea is. Cancel culture's fake and it's dumb and impact, you know, they have no self uh, uh, awareness on it. But he's a heel. Like, that's the, yes, the idea is it's fake. <laughs> right. And he's so on the nose about it, too, because, like, he he's, like, uber vegan, too, type thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's so ridiculous. You can't take it seriously. You're not yeah, supposed I mean, to take it seriously. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I don't care about, the, like, I don't know. <laughs> 
he's talking about like bean burgers and it's like so on the nose that you can't no whatever it's just (laughs) stupid um so this is an arm match he's working over jake's arm uh jake gets a beautiful spinning lariat i thought that was the uh one of the highlights of the match with the you know while he was selling the other arm he did a good dive here he hits a sit out power bomb at the end but um uh uh uh, what's her name? Uh, Madison starts going crazy because he didn't immediately go for the cover. I didn't know what she was talking about. It was a sit out power bomb. He immediately went, <laughs> right. you're in the cover. As soon as you hit the move, that didn't make any sense to me, but uh, Joseph P Ryan uh, wrapped him up in a schoolboy. The idea was that he was supposed to grab the ropes and pin him with the leverage, but he didn't, couldn't really reach the ropes. But Josh Matthews still sold it like he had reached the ropes. Oh, this I was so confused. Yeah, I was so confused because I'm like, did he hold the ropes? I don't remember him holding the ropes. And 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 Josh said, oh, he held the ropes there. And I didn't I didn't go back. I didn't I didn't rewind it. But I was like, I don't remember him holding the ropes at all. Uh, but maybe I thought like, oh, maybe he had like a weird like an arm that they didn't show, or they tried to cut it. I guess like where they showed behind you, so maybe you didn't uh, quite see it. But yeah, he didn't he didn't touch no, the ropes at all. No, Rich, they didn't try to edit it at all. They showed the replay of him doing the schoolboy, and then. An extreme close-up of him <laughs> failing to reach the ropes. Like, it was very obvious. And mean. And at the same time, Josh Matthews is telling you, ah, he grabbed the ropes for leverage. Poor cousin Jake. He got screwed out of this one. But he never got to the ropes. By the time he finally was able to grab the bottom rope, it was like the ref was halfway down for the, for the three count. So um, they botched it. Well, I don't want to call it a botch, but the finish was sloppy. The match was too long. And uh, I didn't like it. But it was a lot better than what was to come. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of sloppy too long and not liking it, uh, Rosemary and Havoc, man. What the fuck was this? Well, first we had Rosemary in a bar. What bar is open right now? No bar is open. So, so <laughs> The best part was the stock, like, you know, somebody searched, like, crowded bar stock, you know, audio. And it's like... Rosemary yeah. on her phone talking to Taya Valkyrie and being like, Hey, Taya, how's it going? And in the background, it's like, it was just like people talking, like glass clinging. And you could tell that it was like a 30 second clip, too, because it just yeah. kept repeating, like the same people. I'm like, Where? like yeah. It's ridiculous. Ro- like, no, she's not at a bar right now. She's got a, you know, a, 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 a three fourth full, you know, glass of beer sitting on the table because she's yeah. at a bar. You know? <laughs> like, what are you doing? What she found. Rosemary, like the literally the only bar open in the entire country. So congrats yeah. to her. She found the only open bar in the world, and she's in it. It's crowded too. It's very crowded there, except for packed. her table. Her table well, is empty. But why wouldn't the bar be packed? It's the only bar open in the it's world. It's true. You're right. You're right. That makes sense. So she's in this bar. There's the quiet murmuring of people enjoying their bar outing, and she's talking on Facetime with the phone leaning on the beer <laughs> to to havoc and not only is she in the world's only open bar she's in full face paint sitting at the yes, world at the world's only open bar yeah. only open bar um so this was completely ludicrous so she has this very boring conversation not with uh havoc i'm sorry with taya valkyrie yeah what was the point it was like it kept going and going and going i'm waiting for like the hook and taya's just like all right good luck and then she hung up i'm like what the fuck <laughs> why did i just waste eight minutes of my life doing that well rich if you don't like uh, Rosemary uh, talking and not making any sense. You probably didn't like the first 10 minutes of her match with Havoc, the full Metal Mayhem match, where Rosemary just started cutting a promo <laughs> in the middle of the match. Like she was Johnny Gargano and uh, Tommaso Ciampa having a little mid-match conversation. And um, this was weird. It was Is bizarre. Is this what you want? Is this what you want? <laughs> I was 
I want the match to end. That's I what know. I want. That's what I want. Yeah. It was... I, I, here's what I want. I never want to watch Havoc wrestle again. How about dude, that? That's dude. something I want. How about uh, – I've Rosemary. seen Havoc wrestle like maybe 100 times in the last three, four years. It's so bad. Yeah. Rosemary, who's very talented, uh, but, but just obviously has a lot of influence on her stories and stuff with the undead realm and this stuff. She just – Here's what I want. I want Rosemary to have no control over any creative ever again, and I want to never watch Havoc wrestle ever again. Those are the things I want to answer Rosemary's question that she was asking during this match. She then takes out a stapler, and uh, you would think the traditional pro wrestling move is to staple your opponent's head. She stapled Havoc's palm. (laughs) What was happening here? And her shoulder, even though she's wearing gear. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to staple your Lycra gear to your shoulder. And I am going to put a staple in your palm. Now I got to be honest, a staple might hurt a little worse in your palm than on your forehead with that bone right there. But it's the visual of getting the staple in the forehead, right? Isn't that the whole idea behind it? Yes. Yeah. I I, I don't know. So she's, I'm I'm almost wondering Joe, if there weren't actually staples in that staple gun, (sighs) I can't confirm or deny that, but I do. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if maybe that wasn't on the up and up there. You know, that's why people like the Necro Butcher and people like that would staple dollar bills to their forehead. So to you show knew. Them. Yeah, you knew goddamn right. well it was a real staple. Yeah. That I, way you I, knew I don't know about this one. Hmm. Well, you knew it was loaded, right? That's that's why they would do that. Um, so there was a chain. Uh, Rosemary's choking havoc with a chain. This match got very horny if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, then, for some reason, Nevea comes out. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. I have to. I, I had this in my notes because I had to ask. Yeah. Do you think that Josh Matthews knew that she was coming out? Maybe not, because he was confused in a way that wasn't a worked confusion. Yes. Okay. So that, yeah. that's what I thought too. Because so Nevea, for people that didn't see it, Nevea comes out, and Josh Matthews goes, well, who, "Who's that?" And Madison Rain goes, "I know who that is." Josh goes, "Well, who, who is it?" And then she's kind of quiet for like 30 seconds. She goes, let's Nevaeh. And then Josh goes, oh, Nevaeh? What's she doing here? And Madison doesn't respond. Yeah. And she goes, Madison, if you know what Nevaeh is doing here, what's she doing here? She doesn't respond. Oh. Eventually, Madison goes, I don't have to tell you what she's doing here. (laughs) Right, because she didn't know either. She didn't know either. (laughs) No clue. It was weird. And then Josh is being like, well, we don't know what Nevaeh is doing down here, but obviously Havoc and uh, Madison Rain know. <laughs> like, nobody yeah. knew what Nevaeh was doing there. And, 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 and quite frankly, Rich, after watching the match. I don't know that I know what she was doing there either, yeah. I still don't know what she was doing. <laughs> what did she do? I don't know. She just showed up Looked. and kind of kind of stood there. Like, not close and- either. When we say stood there, like, she was in, like, the – the entrance ramp in like the darkness of the entrance ramp. It's not like she came down to the ring and walked right. in or sat on the apron or that. <laughs> she was like kind of, I don't even know that the, like Josh kept saying, well, Rosemary's obviously aware that or Havoc's definitely aware that Nevaeh is there. Was she? I don't know that she was. Did you know, I have a fact for you. I have a Nevaeh fact. Did, did you think I'd be ready with a Nevaeh fact? I wasn't, but what do you got? Did you know that Nevea is heaven spelled backwards? Holy shit. Did I just blow your mind? So it's kind of like a relic thing, too. Look at us. We're blowing minds here. Oh, my God. 
Did you know that relic is killer spelled back? That I did not know. A few days ago, I figured that out, which is cool. Now, is this the same Nevaeh that was working ROH in like 2006? This can't be the same. Uh, I believe so, yeah, because I believe this Nevaeh is actually uh, married to uh, Jake Christ. So... Or one of the Chris. Yeah, the connection is Havoc. Okay, and, and, and Sammy and, and OVE. But is and I understand like this Nevea that showed up here and did nothing during this match. Like she's the one married to the Chris, right? Yes. So yeah, yeah. But, but is she also the one that's been wrestling for like fifteen years? I don't think so. I'm 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 I I'm looking at the cage match for her right now. This Nevea isn't shimmer and isn't th- but it looks like her career just started in 2005 well, well i guess that her. is yeah that is her never mind yeah, that's a long time i thought it said 15 at first no yeah that, that would be her then i guess i'm not seeing any ring of honor though was she she was in ring of honor this there was a Nevea? there was a nevea in ring of honor a hundred percent oh there I, we go 2009 yeah yeah mischief versus nevea uh mischief and sarah del rey versus daisy hayes and nevea yeah. This is uh, ROH on HDNet. This is the sassy Steffi era of yes. Ring of Honor. Yeah, yeah. You didn't think I'd be digging sassy <laughs> Steffi out of the archives, did you? Steffi would be. <laughs> <laughs> What's she up to these days? I wonder what it's a Steffi's wild doing. show. Um, sassy Steffi. I haven't thought of sassy. sassy. Yeah. Why did you think of that? How do you know about that? Like, why does your brain? Because... Why does your brain retain sassy Steffi? I get to explain what to you. What a terrible brain. Like, what a waste no. of, of, of brain. But go ahead. Yeah. Listen, because, look, under normal circumstances, if I'm sitting around watching fucking Mad Men in my underwear, am I going to be thinking about Sassy Steffi? Not a chance. But if I'm thinking about – but if Nevea is in my brain right, at the moment, right. and I'm thinking about Nevea and her Ring of Honor matches, Sassy Steffi was around during that, and it's like, you know, you think of some things when you think of something else. That's all. So yeah, I remember Sassy, Sassy Steffi. She was in Ring of Honor too, right? Uh she was. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. Same era. Not a great era, but an era. <laughs> Certainly an era. The early, the early HD Net era, right? Yeah, like yeah, 2009. Yeah, yeah 2009. Slap the porpoise. Yeah, all that. Slap the porpoise that was... era. Yeah, like Hogwood. Yeah. So that is uh, <sighs> that's Nevea. We don't know what she's doing here, but did she even what... was she even around at the end of the match? I feel like she went to the back too. Rich, I don't know what the point was. <laughs> I don't was. understand anything. And Josh Matthews clearly didn't understand. I, this is this is what may have happened. She comes out. Josh, Josh, it's not on the run sheet. Josh Matthews has no fucking clue who this human being is. And he got bailed out because maybe Madison Rain like wrestled her once. Right, probably wrestled her and Shimmer could recognize who that was or whatever. Yeah, so she knew it was Nevea. Or maybe maybe Nevea, because she's married to the Christs or one of them, I don't know if there's. She's, I don't think she's married to both of the Chris. I believe oh, we can be Jake. going on, yes. but um, or maybe she hangs with the gals after the shows, right? Oh, and that's true. Just... Yeah, she hangs out backstage. She's in the you know just kind of hangs out in their dressing room or whatever. Goes over, you know, they they talk shop, you know, that type they talk of... shop. They comb each other's hair. They have pillow fights, all that shit. <laughs> yeah. right? Laundry pillow so, fights, you know, the normal stuff that I assume also, happens that, in women's locker rooms. So that gals do when they get together, you know. <laughs> right. So. Dream phone, play some dream phone, you know. Well, dream phone, absolutely. So, talk about um, who's cute. What wrestlers are cute, you know? Yeah, they whisper. They they do they do the thing where they cuff your hand and you talk into the ear. You know that thing? Oh, the, the, <laughs> we the have boy, no idea what women do. <laughs> listen, no, no clue. The, 
the boy did that to me the other day. He goes, he's three. He's three years old, right? So he's just starting to talk where you could, where it like makes sense. It's not just gibberish. So he's like, I got to tell you a secret. So I go, okay. And he does the cuffed hand, right? Mm -hmm. This is going to be good. Yeah, it's always going to be good if he does the cuffed hand. He comes up to my ear and I bend down and he cuffs the hand and puts it over my ear. And he says, candy. (laughs) So? And I'm like, that's a good secret, you know? And that Did was he it. Get candy? He, Did he? No, he oh. went upstairs and went back in his room. I don't know what it meant. I have no clue to this day what he was talking about. He came down the stairs, and he doesn't walk down the stairs. He slides down on his butt because he's not. <laughs> so, well, why wouldn't you? I would if I could. <laughs> Absolutely. And he goes, "I gotta tell you a secret." And then he cuffed his hand and, and said, "Candy," like that, like with some emphasis too. And then he just went back up the stairs. I don't know what the but fuck. He's got he you meant. thinking though. That you know, he's he's playing mind games with you. My absolute mind. He has game. got you fucking. Shook. You're yeah. a week later. You're still thinking about that. I am, and he wasn't asking for candy because he quickly scurried back. It was up a declaration of candy, yeah, which he could just, mean anything. His, his secret was candy. So, all right, the kid likes candy. I can't really blame him. So, Nevea. So I think that's what happened. And then she bailed Matthews out, and then they didn't really know why she was there because they didn't really like. Yeah, because Madison Rain did like the heel thing. Well, I'm not going to tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> right, I don't deserve. You don't deserve to know, Josh. So it either wasn't on their run sheet or it was just poor announcing. I don't know what was going on there. But um, this broke down. This is some plunder. There was a power bomb into two chairs for a near fall by uh, by Havoc. And then uh, the le- I, I will say this. That lead pipe finish was pretty nasty looking. They did a nice job with that. They did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rosemary basically just took a lead pipe and cold cocked Havoc <laughs> across the skull. It looked good. It was either a gimmick pipe or it was just very well worked because the finish looked awesome. And she knocked her out with the pipe. And I was like, you better not kick out because that looked great. And she didn't kick out. So Rosemary wins. Um, we had, but the match was way too long and it stunk. Uh, we had yeah, Willie Mack. Somehow Mac- only 12 minutes. I don't know how this went 12 minutes. I, well, it felt like 25 we, minutes for me. We, for we, sure. Listen, with the empty arena, it's like the, when matches aren't good, they feel even longer than they are. That's the problem. Um, we had Willie Mack and Rich Swan uh, talking about Willie Mack's X Division title win, and then uh, uh, Johnny Swinger comes in and uh, and says that Willie Mack owes him a title shot. Rich, didn't they do the same thing last week yes. after Willie Mack won the title? But this wasn't the this same. Was, it was a different video, but the same concept. <laughs> where it's like... So they shot the same angle two weeks in a row. And both times, Willie Mack and Rich Swan looked at each other like they were confused. Like, who is this guy and why does he want a title shot? But they just did the same thing last week. They wouldn't have been confused this time because Swinger already did this. And why was Mack being interviewed again anyway about the same title win? And I have another question for you, Rich. Why am I putting this much thought into anything? <laughs> I have no idea. So we had Michael Elgin in a hallway, and uh, he walks up to the interview girl. Gia Miller, Gia Miller again. The aforementioned. It was her again. Yeah, uh, it was her again. Which we, we 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 realized last week we made fun of her and said she was terrible when she was just there, and that was her fault. You know, she was just a girlfriend of Ace Austin. So said, "Hey, you get in there and ask." She, when I know that, and I now was able to kind of adjust my. Uh, I, she was fine. You know, what I mean, she was okay. She was yeah, horrendous, no, but she, like we get it. This week she was a little better. She was last week. She was really bad. Um, so, uh, Elgin says he's disappointed. 
uh, that Eddie Edwards and T- Tessa Blanchard aren't here because he can't beat them up. And he will become the Impact World Champion, which leads us to our main event. Michael Elgin uh, versus Moose. Well, it's Elgin with no opponent. And then Elgin is in his gear and he's proclaiming himself the world champ because his opponent never showed up. But then the Moose music hits. Yeah, which was, I, at this point, I'm in. And and Moose, you did not see this, but Moose crowned himself the TNA World Heavyweight Champion. That's at right. the TNA one night only. They had the title on the desk and he took it. Yeah. said, this is my belt. I'm the champion so, now. This was Hacksaw Jim Duggan TV title style. He finds the belt and he declares himself the champion. So he comes out with the TNA world title. Uh, Elgin's promo, he says he debuted at Rebellion last year and he wants to be announced as the world champ since he has no opponent. Moose comes out with the TNA world title, which Rich described how he acquired that. Uh, uh, Elgin says, I don't care about the TNA world title. I'm an impact man. You can take that back to the mid card to which uh, Moose is not too thrilled about that. And then for some reason, Hernandez is mute. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm all in. I'm thinking, man, Moose versus Elgin, this is going to be kind of cool. It'll be kind of like a tease to, you know, the old TNA and, and a little TNA versus Impact, a little thing like that. Like, these two guys can have a decent main event. And then Hernandez came down. And I like Hernandez. I have nothing, no issue with Hernandez. But what the fuck is Hernandez doing here? I'm going to tell you why Hernandez was there. Because he's insulted that Defending Moose... the honor of TNA. That's right. So he's there to defend TNA since he's an old, he's a TNA original. They're starting to use that the way the ECW original thing was. So uh, he's down there to get a piece of moose. And Hernandez says, there will be no fight without super mechs. And then he runs in and does his dive over the top rope, which is one of his trademark moves, along with the border toss. And uh, we now have what Josh Matthews referred to multiple times, and it annoyed me, as a triple threat. That is WWE verbiage, and I understand that's where he learned how to do announcing, but that makes your product look so second-rate when you're using WWE verbiage to describe things. It's a three-way match. It's not a fucking triple threat, okay? Chris Benoit versus Shawn Michaels versus Triple H was a triple threat. That's that company's shit. It's not your shit. That did, did that bother you as much as it bothered uh, me? No, it did not. But I, I could see as, as an EC, you came up in the in the land of ECW, so I, I get it. Because three way dance, you came up where three way dance was it. They they established it in America, so no, I I, I understand. Yeah, I understand your anger. I this didn't have is, the same anger, but I get it. It's WWE, so it, it makes it sound like you're biting off the company that's bigger than you when you're calling matches by their trademarked names. They do triple threat matches. This is a three way match. If Impact wants to come up with their own little cutesy name for it and call it a fucking menage a trois or whatever the fuck, that's fine. But you can't say triple threat. The other company already claimed that name. You can't say fatal four-way. That's what the other company calls it. So it bothered the hell out of me. And he keeps saying this. Later on in the match, he goes, uh, there's no DQs in a triple threat match. And I'm just like, you fucking dunce. This is Impact Wrestling. Stop calling it a triple threat match. Because every time he says that, I think of WWE. I can't be the only one who he's just making me think about the other company when he keeps saying triple threat. I don't know. It bugged the shit out of me. And it's a lack of quality control. If I'm running Impact, you don't call things the WWE name for things. I can't stand that. Drives me nuts. But um, let's see. So this match fucking sucked. This was long. This was sloppy. Here's what some of my notes say. Clunky, sloppy, no flow, <laughs> yeah. no story, messy, 
What are they doing? Yeah, I wasn't sure what I was uh, supposed to get out of this match at any point. I'm watching, thinking, all right, what what am I gathering here? What's going on here? Like, what wh- what am I supposed to feel? Like, what am I supposed to think? Like, I, I it was so weird in that sense that like I think the work was good, but then I also don't know if it was good or no, not. It probably no. wasn't. Like, I was just watching this with like my my eyes were just glazing over. Like, what is happening? Why is it still going on? Like, the work was horrendous. Moose was so bad in this match. He was so bad, and I don't know if it was just a lack of effort or he's regressing. Yeah, well, he he. It's clear that he like has no confidence in any moves because he. How many times did he do the spear? He did the spear, I think, like sixteen times in this match. He's got nothing. He it was so low effort from him, and his his moves have pounce. No... I should say the uh, you know because what's what's it called? It has some a convoluted name that Josh Matthews had to say every single goddamn time he did it. So. There's nothing behind his strikes. He just and Hernandez looks fine, and Hernandez is like fifty. I mean, give that guy some credit. He's doing some athletic shit for a big guy who's got a lot of mileage on the fucking tires. And it really felt to me like I'm watching Moose who feels like he regressed and he's easily the the, the worst person in the match. And I, I feel like Elgin is working down to these two guys. I feel like he has to slow it down and it's like it's like he's working an indie show somewhere with two inexperienced kids and he has to work at their level as opposed to bringing them up to his level. And uh, that that was my overriding thought watching this. I didn't think it was good at all. And then uh, Moose ended up uh, winning the match, and uh, he pinned Hernandez. They were obviously going to protect Elgin in this situation because, you know, he's a, he's in the top feud. He's in the world title feud with, you know, uh, Tessa and Eddie Edwards. So um, that's why they added Hernandez to the match, obviously. At least it made sense from a storyline perspective, you know, defending the honor of TNA or whatever. But – uh Holy shit, was this way too long, and holy shit, did this suck. And I'm not someone who routinely buries matches. You know I'm not that hard of a marker. I, you know, I, I'm more than willing to throw two and a half stars at any old TV match, but this was legitimately a bad match. Yeah, I think the, the, the placement of it, too, kind of annoyed me. If this was maybe, like, midway through a show or something like that, I would have been like, ah, whatever. But, like, the fact that this is, like, the capping off of the night, too, I know the circumstances. I understand that, obviously, Tessa and Eddie can't be there, but to th- just kind of throw this match together last minute like it I, that kind of annoyed me and then yeah like i i just i also like i said like the match is going on i'm not sure what i'm supposed to think what i'm supposed to feel what's really happening like i get the ideas that moose is back in the world title picture and elgin you know he got a little too big for his britches and now he needs to you know fight or maybe he's gonna win the title and then he'll do the impact versus tna thing or whatever like these are all things that could come out of it but like watching this match you would not know any of that is really the case like it was just three guys going in there doing stuff for 20 minutes or whatever and then it ended you know like it didn't have any of that nuance that you would think that would start off a feud between moose and and elgin because moose is just not that good of a wrestler to, to really project that or to make that obvious and yeah elgin i thought was good in this and i thought hernandez was pretty solid you know as well but yeah just like it it, it just went on forever and when it was over you just kind of wanted it to be done and just kind of thinking oh geez what the hell was that like why, why did i waste my time with that do you remember the six month period where hernandez looked like the future of tna yeah oh yeah of course like he he came in with um what was the name of that faction and he was kind of unexposed to the masses still at that point. You know, he had done some all Japan tours and some stuff down in Mexico, but was really never on American TV. And he just blew people away with his athleticism for like a big bodybuilder kind Mm -hmm. of guy. Right. And he had the great look. Um, 
you know, uh, LAX, right? Yeah, LAX. Well, I was wondering, yeah, because I thought you were talking about some other guy, because I was like, how do you not know uh, LAX? Yeah, I just, because I'm an idiot, and I can't think but of But you things. remember Sassy Steffi. That's what I'm talking about. Like, Sassy Steffi is at the forefront of my that's fucking... That's I'm saying. You don't remember LAX off the top of your head, but you remember Sassy Steffi was in HDNet Ring of Honor era. Like, Yeah, I couldn't remember Riho's name last week. <laughs> right, but... for, for good 10 minutes. Neither of us could remember Riho, but you could pop off Sassy Steffi whenever you need to. So Yeah, but I remember who Nevea wrestled on a random episode of uh, <laughs> ROH in 2009. Like, that's... That I can remember. But Hernandez, man, I'm watching this match just thinking, man, people thought he was going to be the next big thing. And at a time where people were re- were watching TNA, like when they were doing their 2.1 million viewers per week, that became a running meme. Well, yeah, because if you remember, like he, he came in there and he was he was with Homicide or whatever. And as that match and as that, you know, team is going on, they're having great tag matches. You know, what I mean, they're, they're really, really good stuff. Conan's managing them and all that sort of stuff. But what you're seeing is this going on is like, oh, man, like this Hernandez guy is going to break away from Homicide and be the biggest star in this company. Like, and yeah. that's what that was the conversation at the time, too. If people don't remember, the conversation was like, Yeah, I know this team's good, but man, they got to break Hernandez away because they have a star. Absolutely. You know, they got to turn, he got, he's got to turn on Homicide, or Homicide and Conan have to turn on him. And then you got a big babyface star, you know, Latin American babyface star on your hands. Cause I mean, he was, he's 6'2, 300, whatever the hell pounds he is. He looks like a brick shithouse. He can move around pretty good. Like, yeah, there was an idea that he was going to get ready to go. And, and like many things in Impact. It just never happened, and he just continued to be in a tag team, continued to do stuff, continued to get to end that, like, they never knew when to pull the trigger on guys. Same with, like, Monty Brown and, and many other guys before that and after that, really, where where you're waiting for that big, you know, moment where they, where they get it and they turn him or he becomes a single star, and it just it never happened. He was just in a tag team forever. Yeah. So that was Rebellion Night 2. I thought it was a shitty, uh, pretty shitty two hours of, of wrestling. Cannot recommend it. Um, night one was way better. If you want to get a feel for the rebellion, if you just want to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Remember, this was supposed to be a pay-per-view. So they broke it out into uh, two nights and uh, night two just wasn't very good. Yeah, so stunk. Yeah. That's rebellion. Let's uh, we got a couple more topics and we got about 45 minutes. Let's circle back to wrestle one and uh, say goodbye. We opened the show with some wrestle one memories and now we close out the company and uh, the company will close. There were no title matches or anything like that on this show. This show was on uh, – the date was uh, April 1st, Cork and Hall. No fans, of course. Um, just so symbolic, just going out with zero fans yeah. and, um, you know, limping out basically. And uh, the final champions for Wrestle 1, Kaz Hayashi is the final Wrestle 1 champion. And uh, it's uh, Saiki Yoshioka finishes up as the Cruiserweight champ. And Daiki Anaba, who wrestled in the very first match in the company, goes out as the final Wrestle One Tag Team Champion with Koji Doi. And as we go through this show, you know the future is pretty bright for some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for others, um, you know, <laughs> you hope they land on their feet somewhere. I mean, there's some guys here who I hope do. Um, but as far as the show itself, it opened up with Yusuke Kodama defeating a young boy Takuro Niki. And I'm just thinking to myself, they've got a little stable of young boys there. They got their own training. I think they share a training school with someone or maybe they have their own. I don't remember. But the point here is they have some, some young boys. What happens to those guys? I was thinking the same thing, man. They did a, they did a promo, I think with, with uh, this one after this, is this the one where they, they interview him? He looks like he's like 17 years old. man. He's like a child. And I'm thinking, man, what the hell's next for this guy? Like he has no clue, especially if you're a a young boy in, in Japan, it's not like you have connections with anybody. You only know the guy you trained with, the dojo, you know, that you're in, like the people you train with, like, what the hell's that guy going to do? 
He probably goes nowhere, right? He probably just stops wrestling, which sucks. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, well, what's the past? Like, who does he call? Like, you know, like who calls him? Who does he call? Who? who I guess if if Mudo or or the training the trainer might say, Hey, I got a guy here, but it's so weird. And cause in, in America, it's obvious. It's like you, you build those connections through running in the Indies. You have your trainer that always has connections throughout the Indies, but it's so much different in Japan because you come up in that dojo system and that like, that's all, you know. And if that kind of gets fractured or broken, you're kind of, you stay there your whole life. Right. Long. Like this dude doesn't have, you know, can't call Junakiyama and say, Hey, <laughs> I'm Takura Niki from uh Russell one's dojo. Uh, you need any work? You're like, that doesn't happen. You know? So, I Which sucks though, because Russell One has a really I, I've always liked, and that's one thing I always liked about Russell One from from like the moment it started, and pretty much is they all they were churning out some good talent. That dojo always had guys that weren't maybe not superstars. Some you know some really really good wrestlers. Some I would say borderline superstars, but everybody that came out of the dojo just kind of they had a, a, an aura about them. They got it. You know what I mean? There was never a guy that came. There wasn't many guys that came out, and I was like, oh, that dude's a dud. That guy's never going to do anything in this world of wrestling. Like every one of them had something to offer. In some way, yeah, and and the and the the problem with these guys is like it's not like you know they're heading into an environment where nobody's running right now, you know. So that's the other problem too for these young boys. Um, so it's not like the other promotions of similar size are taking on more people to pay at the at the current time. Yeah, Processing Noah is not really looking to add a bunch of uh, you know people to the roster and pay more people. <laughs> like that's not happening. So, well, Rich, I don't know if you saw this, but. Um, big Japan, their bus broke down, and they had to crowdsource the money to fix it. Right. So it's like that's, that's where we're at. Yeah, that's where we're at, man. I mean, that's like what the third or fourth biggest company in Japan that needs you know people to pay for their bus. So you know you you wonder what happens to a guy like that. But Kodama's the guy who does the uh, Eddie Guerrero cosplay, and um, you know he looked fine here. Um, and then guys like that, like underneath guys for Wrestle One, like what? Where, I'm so curious to see where these guys end up. I know, you know, I, they're just gonna, you know, assuming things go back to normal, a lot of these guys are just gonna become, you know, go to become indie scummers or, you know, bounce around, um, you know, your six six sixes and your heat ups and places like that that you know just have, you know, no dent in the, in the in the you know, in the scene. Right, because normally, like, a phoenix rises from the... I mean, one thing that's always cool about Japan is, like, a company goes down and then a phoenix rises from the ashes and comes up, and but that's not going to happen right now. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Like, no, and the other thing is, and we've discussed this, it's like, I didn't want to see Wrestle 1 go out. I like Wrestle 1, but I don't want to see this same group of guys try something else. It's not going to work. You know, I think it's better that, like, uh, that that uh, that Shotero uh, Oshino... And and his guys are are gonna are popping up in all Japan. Spread out the talented ones, and unfortunately, some of the undercard guys and the lesser guys are just gonna fall by the wayside. Right for right now, this is the healthiest thing to happen. Is is these guys all like in normal circumstances? Yeah, it'd be really cool if you know Soya decided, you know what, fuck this, I'm gonna make my own company or whatever. You know what I mean? Like again, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm I I I'm tired of that because right right I like that. I, I think it's a fun idea, but like right now, that's absolutely not what the scene needs right now. Even outside of the pandemic, though, like that doesn't work in recent years. Like it's just exactly, yeah, yeah. That scene is not ready for that right now. It, it's not a healthy enough scene uh, for Nabu Soya to be like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna make my own produce company and like I'm gonna grab 
you know, 18, you know, 18 of these guys that are on the show and then a few other guys that I know or whatever, we're going to run a show. Like that shit, it, it, it used to work. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Like, now you're just a watered down version of the promotion that already failed. Like what it, it's, and, and we've seen that happen. And, and historically in Japan, that has happened during the, the, the uh, shoot promotion era that happened a million times where there were different derivatives of the same shoot promotion where guys would get mad at each other and like whether it was Fujiwara or whoever else he'd go open up his own thing and it just wouldn't work because it's like you're just fracturing into smaller things right eventually the style just or eventually you just everybody just loses that out are just and, destined yeah. not to work because right. yeah it, it's it, it, you know it, it's it's better it's almost better that the cream ends up rising and going to you know promote you know like, like we're seeing with all Japan and unfortunately for the other guys, I just, you know, they're going to fall by the wayside. So the second match, very sleazy match as we had Ken Arai, Kenichiro Arai, who uh, Dragon Gate fans would be familiar with. Mazada. God, I, you know, I, how many times I got to. How many times in your life have you seen that man wrestle? I, you know, it's like, God, and I wish it was zero. And uh, <laughs> Sugutaka Sato and they defeat uh, Gonsaki Tanaka, Ryuji uh, Hijikata, and Ryuki Honda. Um, Look, anytime I get to see Ken Arai is a good day. It is a good day. I, I, I love my Ken Arai. I am the only man who will defend the Deep Drunkers unit from Dragon Gate. I think I was the only person who enjoyed that unit. And uh, I will never not enjoy seeing that man come out in his fucking – in his mechanic jumper. <laughs> big, he has big pants. I always love the pants, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, look, what do you want me to say about this match? I have nothing to, else to add other than it was sleazy. And, you know, it's one of those matches where you wonder how many of the participants, you know, have the drip. That's basically all I have to say. About <laughs> That's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so then we have uh, Alejandro versus Kai Fujimura in a singles match. There were only two singles matches on this show. To this point, this was the best match on the show. These two guys went out. Yeah, there this is good. This is really, really good. Good action. Yeah, yeah this was a uh, this was the best match on the show to this point. And then we had uh, Andy Wu, El Hijo del Pantera, and June Tancho uh, defeating a strong hearts combination of Shima. Uh, but uh, this was two of the younger members with Issei Onizuka and Saiki Yoshioka. Um, well, Issei Onizuka, uh, well, I guess both of them are, are are young guys, right? Yoshioka's still a young guy, right? Yeah, I would, I would probably still call him that, yeah. Early to mid-20s, it's going to bother me. I've got to look it up. <laughs> How uh, old he is, yeah. He's 32, so he, yeah. he's in his prime. He's in his prime. Um, mm. But they go down here to the this to the wrestling prime. Board. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this guy. That's his prime. He's, he's a good. He's a good looking guy, though. He's a good looking guy. He can he can move around pretty good. So at 32 years old, um, yeah. But the uh, the the classic wrestle one trio was on the winning side of this one with uh, Onazuka taking the fall for the strong hearts. Uh, Andy Wu. We talked about him a little earlier. I really hope he finds a spot in a promotion that I pay attention to because. I do enjoy him, and he, you know, throughout the years in Wrestle One, he was involved in some of the junior title programs and whatnot. Always did a good job. El Hijo del Pantera is a guy who, who you know, from Mexico, who was basically a full timer here. Yeah, didn't don't we have an article up? Uh, yeah, right, right now, uh, uh, Rob Hutton, who, who writes for us occasionally, uh, put an article up. He was like, "Hey, I want to write about El Hijo del Pantera," and that's why I say, like, you know, I, I, the one thing I love about our website is. And most other websites, somebody is going to email and say, hey, I have an article about El Hijo de Pantera. And they're going to say, fuck off, post this, you know, Sasha Banks tweet. 
Whereas I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. Of course they're going to post that. And I read it, and it's fantastic. Yeah, so voiceofwrestling.com, uh, if you look at our column section, you'll see a little bit about sort of the history of him in Japan and, and, and how, yeah, he had become really an adopted member there. And, yeah, he, he has a, even has a tweet when he's, like, leaving. He's, like, crying. He, like, hates that he has to go home. Like he wants yeah. to stay here forever. He wants to wrestle Wrestle One and wrestle with Andy Wu and, and kind of hang around forever, which is, is is really sad. Yeah, but he's kind of become an adopted son of uh, of of Japan. What's his background in Mexico? Where did he come from? Um, um, does the article get into that? Not or? really. Yeah, it's kind of like a, he he's he's an interesting one where like I don't know if a lot of people know his background. IWRG, it looks like. Yeah, but but he's one of those guys. Like it's it's he's an indie guy, right? So it's kind of tough to know a lot of where those indie guys come from, especially in Mexico, where it's like they just kind of like appear. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it looks like he might have a Tajiri connection. That would make sense. Yeah, that he might have been trained by by, by Tajiri. Yeah, but like we don't know his real name, obviously, because he's he's masked or whatever. People think that he's the cousin of Ultimo gladiator i believe but i don't know if anybody knows about that i think that the article addresses a little bit but it's also it's like mexico which is very hard to just you're like i don't know know. well if he's got a tajiri connection that bodes well because tajiri has a lot of connections so uh he might be able to get in get into an all japan or something if he wants to keep wrestling in japan i would assume that he's stuck in japan right i mean no, I think he's back in Mexico now. Oh, he's in Mexico. I, he's okay. in Mexico now. Yeah, he um when when that when that was done, uh, when Russell one was done, I think he worked one more show with I want to say Ice Ribbon or something like that, and then he went back. Uh, Ice Mexico. Ribbon. I think worked- that's what I dude. It's what the banner said. <laughs> I don't know. It's very difficult to try to figure out what the fuck's going on in in in, in wrestling right now. But yeah, that's what it looked like. He he did one little. He thing. worked on the seventh for Asuka Pro. Pantera send oh he had a send off match for I at the Ice Ribbon Dojo See? okay that's it. okay they gave him a little send off all right in front of no fans that fucking sucks poor guy you know he gets his send off match in front of nobody I don't even know if that will that make tape I don't even know if <laughs> don't like that would make so. tape yeah I don't think so not that yeah, I'm, you know the Asuka Pro Pantera send off uh, event yeah I don't I don't know if that's uh... I'm not you know chomping at the bit to watch it but I I don't think that's making tape. Um, but they win here, and then we had uh, more Strong Hearts action. Lindemann and T-Hawk tag match against Manabu Soya and uh, Siego Tachibana, and the Strong Heart side wins that one. Um, and then uh, we had our set. Well, you have any thoughts on that? I thought that was uh, really good. Yeah, good, good action yeah. there. I mean, Lindemann and T-Hawk, I fucking love those guys. They're so. just so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Soya, and Soya is great, too. So, yeah, I, I, I just, liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. A bunch of professionals in there. For this one, so you yeah, know, no, getting- no indie scum. This is like pro wrestlers. You know what I mean? Like good ass wrestlers just going out there and having a good match. So, yeah. Uh, the other indie match, uh, indie match. The other singles match: Takanori Ito and Pagaso Illuminar. Rich, I thought this was a decent little singles match as well, with two guys who went out there and worked hard. Um, look, this was a good match with two guys who aren't like the greatest workers, but they went out there and worked hard and had a good little match. I liked Ito a lot. Actually, when, when this match was over, I was kind of thinking, man, I really should have watched more of this guy. I, I don't know why, but yeah, I, I really liked him in this match. And and, and I was kind of met with, fuck, like, I should have been watching more Wrestle 1 if this guy, you know, because I thought he was pretty damn good. Um, I know he's like, because he, he was doing, he's the guy that was doing that like weird Kevin Owens cosplay thing for a while too, right? Is this that Is same he- guy? I don't know if he's the Kevin Owens guy. Ask the chat room. They'll yeah, know. they'll know if he was the um, Kevin Owens guy. Because, like, I remember thinking he was kind of a dud then. But then I saw him in this match, and I was like, yeah, this guy's got some some nice potential here. I could see something out of this guy. Yeah. So uh, then we had the semifinal, which was uh, uh, Shotaro Oshino and his boys, Kumura Arashi and Daiki Yanaba, 
and Koji, Koji Doi. And some of these guys have shown up in All Japan already. And it looks like more of them will as uh, Oshino is doing a gimmick where he has mystery partners on these All Japan shows. Yeah. And then they end up being the Enfants Terribles members. Um, and uh, so it looks like most, if not all, of those guys are going to land on their feet in All Japan. And they went out winners here, defeating Kazayashi, Keiji Muto, who had to work the final show, uh, Masayuki Kono, and Suji Kondo, a bunch of dudes who worked the first Wrestle One show, coming back to win what was effectively the main event of the final show. Right, I mean, right, right. Yeah, because they, 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 they did like a big send-off thing at this point, too, and I kind of thought it was over. I closed out of the file, and then I go on to cage match. I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, there's something else Well, they did that, that. So. they did that great history video before the match. Right. So, and it was kind of symbolic because you had Ashino and his unit, which were, you know, the top guys when the promotion closes. And they beat all of these guys who were older veterans who worked the very first show. Right. So it's like the passing of the torch of, of okay, you guys have, this is the growth that you guys have made throughout the history of Wrestle One. Now go forward and, you know, spread our, our you know, our, our message to everyone else in the world. Yeah. It's like... Spread the Wrestle One seed for <laughs> right. the rest of the world. Right. Get it done, boys. So uh, that's what they're going to do. And then they uh, they had a battle royal. So the final match in Wrestle One history is a battle royal loaded with unfunny comedy. There's nothing worse than a Pearl battle royal. I mean, yeah, they don't know how to do it. They're very bad at them. They're just unwatchable. I mean, they, it's they don't take them serious. It's they're just bad. You know, with the guys piling on top of each other for the pins, and but um, you know, Emanabu Soya goes out. As the uh, and he gives the the closing speech and everything after uh, after winning the battle world, which basically was everybody on the show, and then some surprises. You had uh, uh, Hama showed up. Um, you had uh, I think uh, didn't um, Jiro Jiro showed up for this, um, and there Suji were some Kondo, other... I think Suji Kondo wasn't. Oh, he was... wrestled on the show anyway. Did but... he wrestle? Where was? Oh yeah, yeah, duh, yeah, duh, duh. yeah. Yeah, so they brought in some guys who have some connections to Wrestle One who didn't wrestle on the main show as surprises for the Battle Royal, which would have worked really great with fans. But it's just this shit is so weird. Yeah, they're trying know? to do like bows and send offs and stuff, and it's just like there's no one there, and it's just like who are you bowing to? You know what I mean? Like it's weird. I get it. I understand the symbolism. I understand what they're trying to do, but yeah, it was so awkward with no fans here. Yeah, so it's for the television crowd and. Soya wins the battle royal, and um, Russell one limps to the finish. Yeah, so unfortunate. But I, I mean, the one thing to really take away though, as you said, is like look at the names who won those final few matches. Like those are clearly the guys that like will. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can go all the way down to, to, to Ito, but if you want to just do that, you know, with, with Ashino and Abba and Doi and and Oshai and then Soya and Lindemann and T Hawk and Wu, you know, what I mean, like if you look at the guys who won matches here. It's like obvious, okay, who are the have and who are the have nots? Who are the guys that will? And, and, and those names, the ones in the semi main event and, 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 and the names in, in that won most of these matches are guys that you that will stick around and, and, and you will, you know, and, and we see them already popping up in, in different places. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the other guys, either guys in the openers or, you know, random battle royal dudes, like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the right people, the right people won all of these matches. Right, they didn't. They didn't do a thing where, like, you know, they just said "fuck it," who cares? And every, I mean, they, it was clear that they knew who should win. The guys that were going to move forward and, and be stars in wrestling, you know, be stars in the scene. Those guys all won, which I thought was a cool. And give them a nice little, nice little push on the right, way out. Right, right. You know, I would have enjoyed some, you know, final title matches on the last show, maybe. But um, 
and they didn't really do that on their last few shows. I mean, you, you go back to um, their their second to last show, and yeah, you know, Ashino won a singles match, and they had some uh, a six man match on top. Um, you know, it's it's I would have liked to to you know to give it a little, but you know, it doesn't really matter at that point. I guess it's just um, you know promotions closing up. They had some uh, decent little matches where the right people went over, and then uh, you know Soya winning the battle and and some of the veterans is already outside of uh, Ashino and his crew. There's already word that some of the veterans are have gotten work in other places already, so the veterans will be fine. You just worry about some of the undercard guys and some of the younger guys, and and what'll happen with them. So that's uh that's the last time we're ever going to talk about. Oh Russell. man, yeah, it's bye, over. Bye, Russell. One. It's all over. Somebody so. mentioned that we uh, we were very disrespectful to Global Force Wrestling, which also existed and died while we were doing the show. So, you know, I got to tell you, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Very disrespectful. You don't want to disrespect uh, Global Force Wrestling because Jeff Jarrett always wins. By the way, Jeff Jarrett not released from WWE, despite the fact that like every you know, other producer was for loader released. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Jill yeah, Briscoe, incredible. who's been there for three decades, is gone. Mike Chioda yeah. gone. Billy Kidman gone. Lance Storm, I mean, who just unpacked, just got his desk ready. Fucking out of here, buddy. Get out of here. Lance Storm, who closed his wrestling school, <laughs> was there for like three weeks. Ended his business. Doesn't have a job to fall back on. They send him back to Canada. Jeff Jarrett, still employed. <laughs> it's incredible how he I love it. It's incredible. Yeah, at this point, there's nothing you can say except you just got to tip your cap to him. He is. He is the all time. We said it before. He is the greatest businessman in the history of of of. Yeah, it, I, it, it it's it's unprecedented. It, it started as a bit, but it is total reality. The man just always lands on it. <laughs> like, and the thing when we say the greatest businessman ever, it's not that he won. He's got the most money, but for like the the attraction that Jeff Jarrett has gotten from the output that Jeff Jarrett has given the world is is second to none. This yeah. guy has done nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Like Chris Bay calls himself the ultimate finesser. Jeff Jarrett's the ultimate finesser. That should be his gimmick. He just he has a way. It's incredible. Nothing stops the man. So uh look, he's living his best life. I hey, good for him, man. Yeah. He's down there in Tennessee going to Titans games. Remember he he did the gimmick before the Titans game this year with the sword at midfield? Like <laughs> I did. They're like Jeff Jarrett. Wrestling yeah. superstar Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many people in that arena know who fucking Jeff Jarrett is? 70, 70 80,000 people at whatever the fuck they call their stadium or whatever. And it's Jeff Jarrett. Like, how many people honestly maybe, know who Jeff Jarrett is there? Maybe in Tennessee. I mean, you get about they might know a Yeah, may, yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe. But maybe. think about it. How, how long has it been since he was, like, in Memphis wrestling? <laughs> I'm saying, those fans are not watching anymore or, or have completely lost all. Maybe there was a little bit of a, oh, yeah, I remember Jeff Jarrett. Like. Or they're 70 and they're not at a Titans game, right? Like, that was 30 fucking years yeah, ago. Yeah, like 1991 was like, you know what I mean? That's what we're talking yeah. about here. Like, yeah, he's wrestling like Moondog Cujo in 1991. Like, that's the last time, you know, like he was a thing in, in Memphis. Yeah, because in 93, then, 94, he's already in WWF. 96, he's in WCW. 98, he's back in WWF. <laughs> 99, I he's back in WCW. Like, I guess TNA was in that area for a while. But, I but mean, like, what's the cultural impact of TNA? Total not-stop action. Right. Yeah. It's incredible, though. Yeah. I, all these other guys. You, you wonder if he's just, like, sitting there. All these other guys are, like, packing their stuff up, you know, giving their goodbyes and hugs and stuff. And 
There's Jeff wearing a wearing a button up. It's probably like a garish button up. You know what I mean? These guys. Oh yeah, no doubt about like, it. Just the perfect. You know what I mean? Like close your eyes. You know what shirt he's no, wearing. I no, I know. What, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the shirt. Can I tell you the shirt? Yeah, go ahead. It's those button up shirts that were in style with men of that age, like eight years ago. Yeah, it's it's where, by affliction. It's probably an affliction no, shirt. Listen, no, 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 no. Listen, you know you'll see where I'm going with this. It's a button up and it's business cash, but it's the ones where when you it's designed to roll the cuff and the cuff's a different color than the shirt. You know those shirts I'm talking about? Oh yeah, about? yeah, for sure. And the collars too. Like the collars are different. <laughs> yeah, right, right, and, right. Yeah. And they they have the big they have those big giant cuffs that you're supposed to roll up and then there's a different design on the yeah, cuff. Yeah, it might be a little flowery or something like that or it's plaid right. or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. But the shirt is striped, but like the cuff is flowery. That is what you, and you know who else wears those shirts? Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard wears that fucking shirt. You know he does. Oh, for In sure. fact, I think I've seen him wearing that shirt. <laughs> right? But that's the Jeff Jarrett. You know that's the shirt he's wearing in the back. You know? I wish they would have like a garish button up that's like because he always he also wore those ones that were like very loosely business casual, like where he didn't tuck them in. Like I obviously he's an office guy now, so he probably is wearing like the ones that you're talking about. But there's also the Jeff Jarrett that like if you remember the the King of the Mountain era, you know, Jeff Jarrett in, yeah. in TNA, where the pant it would be like you know, pants with like rips in them or whatever. And they're like yes. acid washed or whatever. And then it's like a, uh, it's like a, it's a button up. The top button's undone, obviously. Cause he's, he's, oh, yeah. you know, cause come on, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a wrestler. Show those upper pecs. You gotta exactly. show the And, the and it's, it's not long sleeve, but it's short sleeve. And instead like on the short sleeve is like a buckle. Do you know the uh, ones I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. The short sleeve shirt with the buckle on it. You're right. right. Like, yeah. but he's not like he's office now, so he's not. He's wearing the one you're talking about. Yeah, Vince will throw him out of there. He can't wear that. But if he wears that Bruce Pritchard shirt, he can wear that. That untucked, of course. Untuck is the move. Untuck is the move, especially in the fast moving backstage WWE environment. You know, the untuck unless you're Triple H, of course. Got to have the tailored suit. But uh, yeah, that's the that's the Jarrett shirt. No doubt about so it. So everyone's packing their bags, getting their boxes together, and he's like, oh, we're going to miss you here, buddy. <laughs> Those shirts were huge with men that were like in their late 40s, early 50s, like eight years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, how many of those did you deal with in, in the restaurant business? I feel like every re- restaurant franchise E probably owned one of those, right? I saw a lot of those shirts, man. <laughs> they, those were so huge because like to those guys, those shirts were hip. Right, know? right, right, right. Like, like that is totally – the upper middle class businessman shirt when it's like business casual day and he doesn't have to wear like that's the shirt he gets out of the closet when he's just you know it's a work day but it's not like a boardroom day you know what i mean like that's the look and i saw a million of those yeah absolutely it's it's, that was but now they're a little out of style but guys like bruce pritchard and jared you can still oh oh, jeff jared 100 percent is still rocking those 100 percent. yeah that's the move um so Wrestle One Rich is dead, and we will never speak of it again as we dump dirt on the corpse. Man, that's rude. But it is dead. I'll tell you what's not dead and will never be dead and refuses to die, and that's Big Japan. <laughs> I've never watched so much Big Japan. I'm so sick of Big Japan. I like Big, Big Japan. Japan. It's fine. I've watched so much Big so Japan. So much Big Japan. I've never in my life thought I would watch this much Big Japan. Rich, I cannot believe how much Big Japan I've watched. And then you tell me, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey, Joe, I watched I watched the finals or whatever. You're like, oh, 224 just dropped. Go watch that. I'm yeah. like, oh, my God. Come on. There's more New Japan. Big Japan. 
There's just so much Big Japan. There's new Big Japan constantly. <laughs> Two month old, but also still new Big Japan. It's it's unbelievable. Because Big Japan Core is the worst streaming service on earth. It's like, <laughs> why released, does it take release them a show months? two and a half months later? And listen, it's not like it has like these incredible fucking production values that were worth waiting for either. Okay, it looks like a snuff film. It looks like you filmed it on a on on a camcorder that you found in your your grandmother's attic uh, from 1989. It's not like you know they were they were mastering the fucking HD on this thing either. So I don't know what takes them so long to get them out. But we're here to talk about the strong climb finals. The last time we talked about the strong climb, they called it off. They gave all the remaining matches a draw. They advanced. The four men in the brackets, Daishi Hashimoto, Daisuke Sekimoto, Quiet Storm, and Jake Lee. And then the finals were to be determined. And we thought Big Japan was finally winding it down and stopping shows. But no, the 2AW building that all these promotions are using now are housing everyone. And Big Japan lives. And they held the Strong Climb finals on the 26th. And... um we're going to go through it now. I think there were some surprises here, and uh, I think there's a lot to unpack. So first semifinal, of course, there were four blocks here. So we had Daishi Hashimoto defeating Daisuke Sekimoto. Second time these men have faced each other in a big spot this year. If you recall, Rich, they had a, 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 a singles match earlier this year, which was a bit of a letdown. And I thought this one was a letdown, too. Uh, Daishi Hashimoto just seemingly cannot get a good match, uh, or Daisuke Sekimoto rather seemingly cannot get a good match out of Daishi Hashimoto. I thought this was, I don't know, a gentleman's three at best. Yeah, this was not good. Yeah, I, I thought it wasn't bad, but it was it was it was pretty disappointing. And and at this point, like, you know, I, I'm, we're watching you know a lot of the strong stuff, and I, I'm thinking, okay, cool, Daishi and, and, and Sakamoto, let's go. Like this, should, and and it, like on paper, it feels like it should be better than it was and and we kind of talked about this a little bit off air but Sakamoto is definitely I don't know what's going on with him either he's kind of laying low or his body's starting to break down but he has just I don't think he's been great this year but I mean there's only so much you can do with with Daichi Hashimoto so we'll we'll talk about that in the final here I guess but yeah yeah the thing about it is you know Sakamoto look he's had two big singles matches this year but but two of them were two of his singles matches this year we're with Daishi Hashimoto, and it's like, um, you know, it's like there's only so much you can do with a guy like that. And we're going to talk more about him in a minute. So I'm not like ready to pour the dirt on Daisuke Sekimoto. Right, right. He 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 might be at a point now where like if he's in there with big time opponents and maybe in a big time tag match, he's gonna he's gonna deliver. But yeah, maybe if he's he's not gonna make a match good just by being Sakamoto at this point. You know what I mean? Like he can only work so well. I I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Well, we'll see what the rest of the year entails. It's it's not fair to judge him on on, on this standard. It's not a great opponent. I mean, look, he's he was in two of the best tag matches this year. Right, 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 right. Of the year. This year. So it's like, I'm not ready to pour the dirt. Time waits for no one. Maybe he's slowing down. I'm not ready to go there yet with Sekimoto. Let's see what the rest of the year holds. Let's see what he does when he gets in there. May, you know, And sometimes opponents just don't have chemistry either. You know? So Yeah, two it, good wrestlers sometimes just don't gel together. It happens all the time. So And this is one good wrestler. So it's, it's <laughs> kind of a... But we're going to talk more about that because I think there's yeah. lots to unpack with Daishi Hashimoto's year. Um, so the other semifinal was uh, Quiet Storm and Jake Lee. And this was their way of advancing 
Jake Lee. I'm sorry, advancing Quiet Storm, but not jobbing out Jake Lee. Mm-hmm. Because Quiet Storm wins it by countout in a very short match at, where it wasn't even like he knocked Jake Lee out or took him out on the floor. It was kind of like a fluky countout win. So Jake Lee was protected here. So what this tells me is this is encouraging, in my opinion. Forget Quiet Storm. He doesn't matter. This result to me is encouraging for Jake Lee's future in All Japan this year and in 2021 because they made sure he was protected in getting knocked out of this thing and losing. If he would have gotten pinned by Quiet Storm in the middle of the ring, okay, that tells me that All Japan doesn't have big plans for him. Right, right. But the fact that he got enough respect to be protected and where All Japan may have said, hey, look, you can beat them in this thing, but you got to protect them on the way out, especially against a guy who was a Noah undercard guy. Um, that tells me that since he got the benefit of protection here, that All Japan continues to have big plans for him. Is that the read that you get here? Um, sort of. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to say. I, I, I kind of agree with that, but it's also Big Japan, so I have no fucking clue if maybe they just fucked up and Jake Lee got into the semifinal. They didn't want Jake Lee to lose to... Daishi in the final, so they just figured out some weird way to have Quiet Storm beat him by countout. Well, that yeah, I mean, that's it, unfortunately like that's you know it is Big Japan, so I can't trust that they were like thinking smartly all the time. Like sometimes they're yeah, but they're, I, see, I, what I'm saying is I don't think the countout was Big Japan's call. I think Big Japan knew okay, you can book Jake Lee for this thing. I see what you're I see what you're saying. You're saying you know top down. They're saying hey, look, no, you're not having our guy lose in the semifinals. Right, that's what I'm saying. So, Got it. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I, I think the premise, like, Big Japan goes to All Japan and says, we want Jake Lee in our, our strong climb, and All Japan says, all right, that's fine, but he's got to be protected. He can't lose to the following people, and when you knock him out, you got to protect him. We don't want him losing to your champion. Like, it's typical politics shit. And I think that that's encouraging for Lee, because if he had just lost to Quiet Storm, or if he didn't even win his block or whatever – then it's like All Japan didn't care how he got treated somewhere else. I see this as All Japan caring a lot about how he got treated somewhere else. They may have seen this matchup, you know, because who knows if Quiet Storm was even supposed to win his block. I mean, we talked about that at the time. It may have just been a result of canceling the matches. But All Japan may have seen this matchup and said, hey, look, there's no way. Right, right. We want Quiet. He can beat him, but he can't pin him. He can't submit him. And, and Jake cannot look bad. And he didn't look bad. It looked like a fluky countout win. So that's why I'm saying I feel like it's encouraging that he was protected here because I think that All Japan had some say in how this finish went down. But it is Big Japan, and who the fuck knows? Yeah, it was also a ludicrous finish. Like, it was really bad. <laughs> like, it made no sense. We're like, Jiggly's fine, and he, like, couldn't get in in time, and he's like, oh, what the fuck? Like, he kind of raises his hands in the air. And it's like, ah, this is stupid. I think he just kind of shrugs it off, too, and goes, ah, fuck it. I'm out of here. Well, no, he's like, back in the ring, and he's acting like – what do you mean I'm counted out? And then he's like getting in Quiet Storm's face a little bit. But the problem with Jake Lee is he has such difficulty in showing fire that that, that story didn't come up. Like with you, it didn't even come across. You know, it's like it's it's it's, it's tricky with him. But I, I, I think this finish told me a lot about what All Japan thinks of him for the rest of the year and for next year. That was my read on it. Um, and they probably didn't want him in the final with Hashimoto because you just you got to do the job there. You know, and um, that that wouldn't be a good look because you can't do some cheap finish in the final. Right. But you right, can do right, it, right. but you can do it here. 
you know, and big Japan wouldn't want to do a cheap finish with their champion. So it's like, this was the spot to do the cheap finish. Um, so obviously a nothing match. I think it only went three or four minutes or something, but, um, that set up the final, which was Daishi Hashimoto against quiet storm. If I would have told you that quiet storm was going to be in the, <laughs> the Ikitosin strong climb final this year. I mean, you would have told me I was nuts. That's where we're at. Um, so, you know, Daishi wins this. It was okay. I mean, it was an arm match. Um, and Hashimoto, uh, you know, overcomes the early attack of Quiet Storm and, you know, pretty basic uh, match structure and all that. Nothing. They weren't trying to reinvent the wheel with this one. And it was fine. And Daishi Hashimoto, who is already the champion, is now also the strong climb winner. And they are just behind this motherfucker like few promotions are behind a wrestler. And I, I don't get it myself. Um, you know, I think the guy is average as fuck. We've talked about it a million times. At his worst, I think he's a flat-out terrible pro wrestler. Um, I think he could be – he can be in great matches with great wrestlers. Um, he, he's a weird guy. like, But he's not the kind of wrestler who's capable of having a great match with Quiet Storm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to have – a decent match at best with a guy like quiet storm. Um, well, first of all, what did you think of the match? Maybe you really liked it. I no, know. no, I thought I actually, I, I liked it. I think I liked it even less than you did. I thought it was kind of shitty. Um, long, no, no real excitement, no real, any enthusiasm really between these two guys. I'm not a quiet storm guy either. You, you know, I, I think you like quiet storm a lot more than I do. I think he kind of looks like shit and he kind of works. I don't know. He's just, generic as fuck i think i i, I i'm not a, there's some people that i i don't know if it's ironic or they actually think this guy's good but i don't know what what, what before i go are you are you, I, I forget what your stance is on quiet storm he's okay i mean i thought he was in a fun tag team with uh muhammad yone for a lot of years and i i, I he's a guy i don't mind i i, I don't you know i don't think he's i don't mind him as much in like a tag match in the mid but i don't really want him in my final like if i'm if i'm a company I really hate the idea that my final is fucking Quiet Storm and Daichi Hashimoto. You, you know what I mean? Like two just yeah. fucking terrible looking wrestlers. Like, you know, know, you know, I'm I've noticed something. You say you're not a body guy. You're a body I'm guy. A bo- I'm a little bit of a body guy. You're a body guy. Just say it. It'll feel good. Okay, so I <laughs> say here's I'm a thing. body. Guy. Here, here's the thing. There's a different. Okay, what? I want to you're clarify Kevin that you're Kevin Nash. You're gonna start saying, <laughs> I am big sexy Kevin. Yeah, you're right. gonna start. You're gonna start saying vanilla midget. Yeah, these fucking vanilla midgets out here. They don't know how to work. Um, I okay. I'm a little bit of a body guy because I just just give me some fucking effort. You know what I mean? Like Quiet Storm, I get what his idea is. The problem with Quiet Storm isn't his body. It's the fact that he doesn't have a neck. That he was born without a neck. That's not his fault. He can't help that. How about them little stubby arms? <laughs> like, the problem is he has no appendages. So that's his fault. Like his 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 chest and his stomach take up three fourths of his body. And that's unfortunate. No, nobody, you know, that's that's whatever. He can't help well, that. I mean, it doesn't matter if he's an accountant, is what you're saying. Like, <laughs> right. who cares? Like it's just it, to me, it's kind of funny looking as a wrestler. Could you imagine Quiet Storm as your accountant? That'd be yeah, I would not trust that my, my taxes are being done well. I would get a lot more on my return, though. I'm sure of it. I'm sure hey. when he was done. Do whatever he's going to do. I would get a lot more back, but then I would also have a letter from the IRS in a few months. <laughs> you think he'd be a good accountant or a bad accountant? I think he'd be good at, like, fucking up your your taxes. Do you, do you think he'd scream and grunt, like, oh, give me your 1099? Yeah, oh, this is no good. <laughs> yeah, right. Like right. He's, 
yeah, Ted Knight, I'd miss her. You know, he gets all pissy about it. And yeah, I, I think he'd, he'd, I think he'd do well in terms of getting you a good return, but he'd do poorly in making sure the IRS doesn't audit you. He'd be like, ah, oh, we don't have to, we don't have to count that. And you're like, I think you do. Like, that's a pretty important part of my my revenue. He's like, ah, it's under five thousand. They won't care. And I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't know about that. Like, Itemized deductions. I've explained this. Right, right. Like, <laughs> like you think, you're like, oh, he's a guy. He's, he obviously knows what he's doing. And yeah, yeah, he has no idea. He's he's in a flop sweat the entire time. He's like adjusting his tie. His room's whoa, got a, oh, a, 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 a mirror on it all the time. Like, whoa, 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 tie. He's doing these taxes in his wrestling gear. Okay, pal. Oh, oh, you think so? Oh, yeah. Well, then I wouldn't trust him. With the wet hair and everything. Absolutely. But, okay, so he 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 he's fine. Because that's what he looks like. I'm not a... Well, I'm not a... Look, in all seriousness, he's like, he's just a fucking fire plug. That kind of wrestler is fine with me. I don't, I don't have a problem with his look. I don't know. I, I'm t- Rich, you're, just admit you're a body but guy. But I'm not a body guy because I'm about to say here. Okay. Daichi Hashimoto and the chat room is saying, Shinya Hashimoto wasn't in good shape. Yeah, but Shinya Hashimoto would fuck you up, dude. You know what I mean? He, he stared did, okay. you down, the bell rang, and he, look, we talked about it with Chris Hero the other day, too. If you yeah. can work, it doesn't fucking matter how you look. And 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 here's the difference, and that's always my argument when I talk about Riho and stuff. It's like, if you don't look tough, you at least have to convey toughness. That's all you're saying right now. Yeah, I don't. Shinya Hashimoto, I didn't care what he looked like because the bell rang and he fucking kicked your head off and he beat your ass in five minutes. Like, and he conveyed a sense of toughness. Yeah, whereas he I, stared at you and it, you were like, "Oh shit, that dude's fucking pissed. He's gonna kick." And my also, ass. he he wasn't a guy who was in shape, but at least he was like a big Daishi Hashimoto. Just looks like a melted candle. Exactly. Right? Exactly. He looks like a guy where I'm like, dude, fucking do some push ups or something. Do some sit ups. Like, try something. Look like you right. look like you're like I have a, a, a standard. If you're going to be a wrestler, at least kind of look like you try to be in decent shape. You know what I mean? Is that so much to ask? It, and it see, or I don't be, know. Or be even... Keith Lee, like where you just look like a brick shit house. Like, I don't think Keith Lee has a particularly great body, but he has a body that's good for Keith Lee because he looks strong and he projects strong and he does the cool pro- stuff. The, pro- the projection is the key. And Daishi Hashimoto does not project tough or skilled or anything in any way. He's just – he has no charisma. He's like a he's dude. Just, he looks like a guy you fucking meet at a grocery store. Like, I don't want that. Guy. Yeah. But, but, but it, the, the weird thing about it is – okay, so I've got three Daishi Hashimoto matches in my notebook this year. And in a year where a lot of promotions aren't running, that's like almost as many as anybody. You know, and it's like – he he has peaked really high some of his matches this year, but it's weird because it's like okay, so the match on the twenty fourth against uh, uh, Nomura, okay, um, I thought that was Daishi's best match this year. I went four and a quarter on that Takuya Nomura, but I'm watching this and it's very clear to me that no more the mat. It's like Nomura is the star of the match. Right. Every time I hear and, about a good Daishi Hashimoto match, it's against T-Hawk or it's against Nomura or it's against these other guys or you got Okabayashi. And I'm like, yeah, but all those guys are great. Like The, the T-Hawk match is a perfect example. That was a, um, no, 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 hold on. Not T-Hawk. Um, the match against, hold on. I'm looking through my notes. So we had the match against Okabayashi in January, which I thought I went four stars on that. And then he's got the, what was the third one? I think one? the Inamura one. Is that the one you're thinking of? No, no, no. No. Uh, hold on. I'll find it. Oh, no. It was T-Hawk. I'm sorry. It was T-Hawk. Um, and, yeah, I mean, T-Hawk was just a fucking – T-Hawk was out of his was, – was out of his mind in that match. Um, and, again, it's like he's he, – even when he's in a, 
a really good match. He's never the best guy in the match either. And But the problem with him is even though he has three matches that I thought were really good this year, his strong climb overall was very mediocre, especially for a guy who ultimately won it and was put in a position to have – I mean, he was in two matches on this show that were put in a position to be very good. It was a semifinal and a final that both right, got tied. Right, Like, you, you're thinking after the the way he's been booked. Like, think about that. This is a champion going into this tournament, booked to win every – I mean, all but one match. Like, you want this guy – you want the end of this tournament to be like, that dude, that's a fucking guy, man. That's your champion. That's your leader. That's the – you know what I mean? Like – did you feel that after you beat Quiet Storm? No. You have your champion winning a tournament and winning two matches in one night. And you're right. You should come out of that thinking, man, this is one of the best wrestlers in the world. This guy's a fucking beast. This guy's so charismatic. This guy. And no, you absolutely do not feel that coming out of the show. You you're, you come out of the show thinking, man, they really like this guy a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I get it, but and, okay. And, like... and then you you're scratch your head and you're like, why? What's the fascination with this guy? And when are they going to give – when are they going to put this kind of effort into like Nomura, which is what everybody's waiting for? And I think sometimes people are a little impatient, and I think a lot of times fans want to push guys before they should really be pushed. And I get that. And it might, But we're getting to the point where I don't know if it's too soon for Nomura anymore. I think you know, he's had his matches where – he had to prove himself against Hideki Suzuki or prove himself against like, you know, Daishi Hashimoto or whoever the higher slotted guy or champion was. So when is it his turn now to start winning some of those matches? Right. Um, he's not 19 years old and he's been there a while and the strong division has been struggling for a long time. And it's like, why not put this kind of effort behind someone like that who we don't know whether he'll catch on or not. We pretty much know that Daishi Hashimoto is what he is. And, um, you know, it, it, it's like try something different with with a guy who if you put that kind of effort behind Nomura, um, you know, maybe that does catch on. Maybe that does catch fire. Maybe that lights a fire under Nomura. But, um, but you know, it's just it's Hashimoto. They feel like it's his time right now. And I really I, – I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I think he's a mostly below average wrestler who, you know, it, it, but it's a, it, he's having a weird year. Cause he does have those three high level matches, mm-hmm. but the rest of his stuff is so is mediocre to bad. It makes you question the, the good matches and wonder <laughs> why are those matches good now? Hold on a minute. <laughs> well, the, the Sekimoto title match was not good. Right. And it's like, okay, so he had three really good matches, but he was in other, and he's had more chances than anyone because it's the only promotion running. He's had a bunch of, he's had like three or four title matches, and he was in a tournament. Right, he's gonna be wrestled of the year just by attrition because he's gonna wrestle a hundred times more than everybody else. So but that's my point. Like he's had more opportunities than anybody else, and he's whiffed on most of them. You know, three of the matches came through, but then you've got the Sekimoto title match, which was not good. You've got the Sekimoto semifinal match here, which was just a match, um, and and. It, Nothing else. He, and he had a very mediocre tournament, a uh, strong climb tournament, um, you know, outside of the, 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 the T-Hawk match. Um, you know, nothing else he did was of note at all, including a very, you know, a final that was fine. You flat out didn't like it. I thought it was just fine. But for me to make that leap and say, OK, this guy has ascended to one of the best wrestlers in the world. You've got to come up in a big spot with an opponent like Quiet Storm. Because let me tell you something. 
I don't have any doubt that Kento Miyahara can have quiet could have the best match of Quiet Storm's career. I'd be fully confident in that occurring. Or someone at that level. And that's why I can't put Daishi Hashimoto on that level. With all of that said, because of the fact that he's been in more big spots than anyone, he's probably, if I was being honest about it, I'd have to put him in like my top 20 this year. Because so many guys just aren't wrestling. But I can't realistically say that he's a wrestler of the year contender. Especially when I look and see guys like, like look at Will Ospreay. He had the Hiromu match, the two Zack Sabre Jr. matches, the Dowie James match in Australia. It's like, you know, I have a better year than that guy. I mean, Okada had, you know, back-to-back nights against the Bushi and then the match of the year against Naito. I mean, you go right down the line. Okabayashi has a million tag matches and singles matches. So he's not anywhere near the quality of wrestler those guys are or having the year that some of those guys are. But because we're in the state that we're in, when you have three matches that are, you know, that high level, I can't deny that the guy is probably a top 20 guy this year. Right, right? Yeah, I, 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 just... I would have to take a close look at it. God. <laughs> but, his bad, but his bad stuff and his average stuff and his mediocre stuff really drags him down. And, and that's a very different discussion than do you think he's one of the 20 best wrestlers in the world? The answer to that is obviously no. Right. I don't think he's one of the best 200 wrestlers in the world. I could easily name 200 wrestlers better than him. But is he having one of the 20 best years in the world? He might be. And that's really fucking weird. But this whole year is weird. And and for anybody that, that might think that we just, like, don't want this guy. I mean, like, anybody oh, that listens to the show. Matches- bad you think i want matches not to be good <laughs> you also think i was going to say too you also think that you you and what do you and i like more than anything is a young wrestler that's good that we can latch on to and say this guy's gonna be a fucking star hold on a second that was me with this guy fucking eight years ago. i know <laughs> i kept telling you joe i don't see it and you're like no rich i'm seeing it i see the i see the potential i see it there you should be kid it's gonna work at one point and then i was like all right it's not clicking for me and yeah that was five years ago at this point and we're still kind of here. No, nah, he listen, at this point he is what he is. Um, you know, but it's uh I'm kind of sick of talking about him, but there's nobody else to talk about. <laughs> he never Rich, stops he wrestling. Has, he has a match every week. <laughs> there's I mean, no one more to talk about. <laughs> you know, and it's like, did you did you end up watching 224? Uh, no? so I actually so I wasn't able to watch the whole 224. I was able to see the uh El Lindeman uh match though because that was one that a lot of people said to go check out. Uh, that one. So I did not see Hashimoto and, and, and Nomura, though, but I'm um, hoping to check it out at some point. Hashimoto Nomura is a legitimately very good match. Um, I thought it was better than the Hashimoto match against T Hawk. I thought it was better than the Hashimoto match against Okabayashi. Um, it's his best match. I have hiccups now. It's his best match this year. <laughs> um, but the Yuya Aoki L. Lindeman match oh is great. Oh, my God. Match. Great match. So those are both notebook matches. I thought the. Uh, those two matches on the 224 show. And then the other two matches too. I, you, there's two other title matches. There's the uh, Billy Ken kid, Masamune and Sabusa. Oh, why didn't I watch that? I didn't even remember. Sabasa, oh. Yeah. Against Naoki Tanazaki, Ryoto Nakatsu and uh, uh, Akiyori Takazawa. Oh, why didn't I watch that? Man? Fun little match. It's on YouTube. Well, it's unlisted, but uh, <laughs> we can find it. Uh, yeah. And then you like, I almost skipped it, but I'm glad I didn't. But the uh, Yokohama Shopping uh, Street six-man tag team title match was also a very entertaining match. Um, you know, Hayoto, Sekimoto, and uh, Takuo Kato against Abdullah Kobayashi, who I generally can't stand, Shima and Drew Parker. Shima and Drew Parker had, like, the matching gear. to Kobe. They were wearing, like, the Sabu style oh, pants. Yeah. 
to like match Kobayashi's aesthetic. And it was a really fun match. All four of the title matches from that show were really good. I didn't watch anything else off of it. But um, the junior match with Aoki, and, and Aoki's having a, a very sneaky good year. That Yuya Aoki, every time I watch him. Did you ever get around to watching his match against um, Fuminari Abe? Abe? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. Off the top of my head, I don't remember seeing that. Let me make sure. Cause I think that's the match I told you to watch. Let me look that up and make sure I have. Because uh, he was fucking great in this match, man. I, I was done with this, and I, went, I, I thought, man, I don't need to see a lot more of this guy. This was yeah. awesome. The match is February 11th. It's Yuya Aoki versus Fuminari Abe. Okay. Uh, I, I We talked about it on the flagship. You probably forgot. Awesome match. Aoki is another. Oh, right. Guy. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I do remember that match. Yeah, I'm, I'm, still, I'm becoming a huge fan of his now. Aoki? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's great. He's having a really good year, and it's not just those two matches. Everything I've seen from him, even tags and stuff, he's having an excellent year, and he's another sneaky guy. Like, if I plot – and I'm, I told you I'm going to write this article anyway, but when I plot out my top 20, he's probably going to be in it. And, you know, he's only like 22, 23 years yeah, he's old. 23. If you don't think we're frothing at the mouth – again, like, you don't think we don't want Daishi Hashimoto to be good, I'm frothing at the mouth thinking about a 23-year-old who already is that good. Like, can't wait to see, you know, what the future holds for him. And Lindemann and T-Hawk are another – they're on every fucking show for every company, and they're never not great in their match. Their matches aren't always great because some matches aren't designed to be great. They are always great in every match that they're in. Lindemann and T-Hawk – see, that's the interesting thing because Lindemann and T-Hawk, I think, for me, would have arguments for being two of the 20 best wrestlers in the world this year, right? Yet – Daishi Hashimoto has more high-level matches, but I don't think he's anywhere close to one of the 20 best wrestlers this year. Is what I'm saying make any sense? Yeah, no, for sure. I I, I get it. It's, it's We're in a very weird year here where, like, what you like and who's putting output, you know, who's got output is very different. Like, you yeah. could, you could if, if at the end of the year, say, New Japan never runs again, you couldn't with a straight face. I, I suppose you could, I but it's, it's going to be so weird because you're going to have one, you know, a few guys that worked, you know, 80 times and then a few guys that worked six times. And it's going to be so weird to say, no, no, the guys that worked six times, like those guys are the best of the year when it's like, well, no, this guy worked 60 times and he had 10 good matches, whereas these guys maybe had three good matches but they only worked six times. Like, it's so weird. Like, we're, well, we're not in that situation. Yeah. It's it, that. There's And then just raw opportunity. And then opportunity to be in big matches. Every time Daishi Hashimoto's in a match, it's in a big match. Right, right, right. So that always helps too. And it's like Lindemann and T-Hawk are always on the mid-card somewhere. You know, and Lindemann just happened to have a, a semifinal title match here on this 224 show. And to the shock of no one, he delivered big. You know, because Lindemann and T-Hawk, no matter what position they're put in, they put in an excellent performance. You know, and and I have full confidence. Like if T Hawk was in the position that Daishi Hashimoto's in this year, he'd be crushing it in all of his big matches because he crushes it every time out. For Hashimoto, it's like his match quality is so inconsistent because he's just not to me. He's just not a great wrestler. There's just a lot of flaws there, um, and he's just the, the charisma is a big thing, which you discussed already. Um, I think his look is a problem, and he doesn't convey being an ace he yeah. doesn't convey being a champion he doesn't convey being someone you can't keep your eyes off of where like even the moves even the, the impact of the move because that's the thing that i always look at is like how how are you how do you throw you know your, your kicks how do you throw your punches how but how, like more than anything like 
the snap that your stuff has, the the impact that your stuff has. Like that Yuya Aoki, like I, I don't know how big the guy is. I have no idea. But man, he's throwing around like fucking suplexes and shit. And it's Lindemann is also helping that out a lot too. But like he, I mean, you, you, this guy looks like he's throwing around like he's 250 pounds. You know what I mean? Like he's 300 pounds just tossing guys around and the impact that he does. Like you just feel it. You just know it. You hear it. You hear it and you feel it. We always said like the first time you go to a wrestling show, you can tell the guys who are really, really good and the guys who are really, really bad by the sound of it. You know, the guys that hit the mat, attack the mat, bounce off the ropes, like that sort of stuff. Like, I have a buddy who who very casually watches wrestling, but he is fascinated by Kenny Omega's running of the ropes. Yeah. He's just like, that dude, that, I love how that guy runs the ropes. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Like, you know, to me, I don't care. It's not that big of a deal to me, but that, he's fascinated by that. Or, like, I took this guy to see Ricochet once, and he was, when Ricochet was done, he was like, that dude, I don't know, something about that guy. And I was like, and he's like, yeah, man, he just, like, looks and sounds like he's a pro wrestler. He just hit the mat like a pro wrestler. You know what I mean? He yeah. jumps, he dives, he he enters the ring. Everything, it's all about the look and the feel and the, and the aura. And, like, yeah, where you see a guy like Yuya Aoki, who I feel like has that noise and has that sound and has that aura. And then Daishi Yashimoto, who is just like, he gets in the ring for 20 minutes and, and you know, it's just kind of, he, he wrestles. But you don't feel it. You, you know, yeah, whatever. He, he's not engaging at all to me. He's I, I, he's actually the opposite of engaging. He's kind of like, it's kind sometimes... It's, it's kind of a struggle to get through his longer matches. He's just not a very interesting wrestler, despite the fact that he screams so much. I don't know when he's, I don't know if that is just something exemplified with no crowds or no, that was bad. Even with the crowds. I don't know. who. No, but I mean, what I'm saying is, I don't know if that's something that he's doing. Has he always done that? I don't know. The he's, been, he's been doing it for a while. Cause I remember even when the crowds were going in the early part of this year, he was doing it. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Cause I don't on? ever, I don't ever recall it. Yeah. He did it in the Okabayashi I, match for sure. Um, a lot. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, no, I know. Like, I don't know if this is a recent thing for him or if he was doing it in like 2015. Do oh, I think that? someone said it's re- I think we, we've mentioned it on the show once and someone said it's something that he's picked up as of like, you know, the last year or something like that. Yeah. But who tell, I don't know who the fuck told him to do this, but please stop. Like, yeah. All right. So that, uh, we are just about done here. I think we are done here, right? 255. We're done. We're out of here. All right. Anyway, uh, we want to talk about Dark Side of the Ring, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about it next. There's there's still new Dark Side of the Ring episodes coming out. So, yeah. We'll talk about that. We wanted to, well, they got the Herb Abrams episode this week, and I wanted to talk about that one. So, that's perfect. Looking so, forward to that. We'll talk about uh, Dark Side of the Ring then next week. We're out of time here. Uh, what's, on the, what's on the docket for next week? We've got Noah. No. So, we've got. Um, we probably should do the Noah because now they're going to start having. There, there's going to be a couple new shows. So, we don't want to fall behind. So, we'll do Can't the fall Noah. Behind a Noah. No. Which was the the tag league wrapping up, yep. and then they had one other show. So we'll do probably the Noah next week. All Japan, they had the show that we just didn't have time to get to before we did this show. Should we watch where... AAA? And yeah, and then the AAA, they're having their tournament. So it's two hours every week, and there's going to be four total shows. So I figured when the tournament finishes, maybe we can watch – maybe we can talk about the whole tournament at once as opposed to doing it week by week okay smart so they're they're two hour shows so they'll be quick easy watches we could probably knock them out in a weekend uh once the tournament wraps up so yeah we've got noah uh the triple a tournament all japan all japan's having another show uh either today or tomorrow so and then of course um you know and then after that double or nothing will be here and that'll eat up two weeks because we'll have the preview and the review so and then of course you know I like the production meeting at the end of the show this here. It's good. That, yeah, well, it's no, a tease. We're getting people ready. We're getting people – we're getting you know, the appetite. We're wetting the appetite for next week because people are frothing at the mouth for our Noah Tag League takes. <laughs> so for Patreon, um, 
beginning on the first, the beginning of the month is the best time to subscribe because you get the full value. So a lot of you will be listening to this show on the first of uh, of May or later. So it's a good time to jump in. Rich just started in your house, in your house, which is looking at the first nineteen, first nineteen, right in your Correct. house. Yep, yep, yep. I listened to the first show. Uh, it was obviously very good. So if you're familiar with what Rich does with these pay-per-views, he takes a look at the main events and some of the news surrounding the shows and those things. So it's interesting historical look back at the In Your Houses. That series just started. So you're going to want to subscribe to catch those. Uh, there will be a new Jovember to remember. Uh, what should I say? Within about – I know we talked about before. Maybe within a, a week or so. Is that yeah, safe? yeah, yeah. Soon. Very, very soon. Next Jovember Imminent. to remember. Imminent. Yeah, that one will be soon. And then Rich and I have something uh, that we've got cooking that could be out within the next 24 to 48 hours. It might, yeah. Which uh, is a new concept we're doing called the Deep Dive. And in this case, it's going to be taking a look at the UWF Tag Team titles in 1986. So what we'll be doing is uh, exactly what I just said. We'll be deep diving the Tag Team titles in the UWF Bill Watts promotion in the year of 1986 and uh, going through all of the uh, uh, relevant uh, title matches, title changes, behind the scenes stuff and breaking it all down. And a nice little bonus to that is when we do uh, release that show, we've got a handy little playlist that we're going to provide to everybody. So you can watch all of the matches that we watched and that we'll be talking about. Uh, on that deep dive yeah so, and it's not too daunting of a task actually because a lot of these matches are like you know 12 minutes long or 13 minutes long or whatever so you can if you sit down and say hey i got two or three hours in my day you could knock all these matches out so you can listen to us then watch the matches you can watch the matches and, and pause with us as we talk about it, whatever you want to do but yeah it's gonna be a, a, a real easy way to watch it it's not like we're asking you to spend eight hours and two weeks watching all this stuff like you could literally sit down in two hours and watch all this stuff if you know anything about UWF TV or Mid-South TV of that era, the TV matches were always like 10 minutes long, like even the main events. So like Rich said, it's quick watch. I think, what, what is there, 12 matches on the playlist? That yeah, we 12 or 13. I forget the exact number. Somewhere in that range. And, and they're all like, they're all 10 minutes or, or less. A lot of them are like six or seven minutes too. Honestly, if you want to skip the Fantastics hugging and kissing girls around the side of the ring, you could probably knock out the matches in about half the time too. So. You will have ZZ Top's sharp-dressed man in your head for, for weeks dude, after you dude, dude, I went to bed with just like that ringing in my head. I, I actually started liking that. I'm, I don't know if I'm a fan of that song, but it was over. I actually became a fan of that song later. So. Yeah, it's on your Spotify now. You're listening to Sharp-Dressed Man by uh, – use the Spotify, Rich. How do you listen I do. To I'm a Spotify guy, yeah. So anyway, that'll be – so what we'll do, the deep dive is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go through the entire year of 1986 – the UWF tag team titles and, and uh, review all of the matches and, and review all of the angles. And uh, I think it's an interesting concept. It's one we wanted to do for a long time. And we've got some other ideas for that too. Uh, it won't always be a title. Sometimes it'll be an individual wrestler mm-hmm. of the year or just a short period of time in a promotion or taking a look at a title or taking a look at someone's title reign. Uh, so it, it, you kind of get the idea. It'll be a deep dive on a very specific topic. Uh, each time that we do it. And in this case, UWF Tag Team Titles 1986. So if you're not a subscriber, everything I just talked about will be on the $5 tier. You can listen to all of that. Uh, Rich is in your house, the deep dive, November to remember, get all caught up on that. 
Um, and then of course, all the stuff we always do, uh, Thursday TV reviews, uh, Q and A's, um, whatever breaking news there happens to be. And, uh, you can get most of that in the $5 tier, the $10 tier gets you live flagships and access to every single thing we do. There it is. So that is it for Joe Lanza. I'm Rich Craig. See you guys next time on the voice wrestling flagship.